Cultural change is one crew, one shift at a time. Good morning and welcome everybody to the kitchen table. In this podcast, we sit down with leaders from across the country to have real and honest conversations around all things leadership. We call it the kitchen table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal today is to focus the kitchen table conversations in talking leadership. So last week we were in Texas with Fire Chief Rick Lasky. And today we travel back down the West Coast to Los Angeles talking with the Career Survival Group with Police Lieutenant Eric Rossoff. Lieutenant Rossoff is a 31-year law enforcement professional. His journey to becoming a subject matter expert in fire service administrative safety started in 2006 when he was asked to assist a local fire department with a personnel investigation. From that point forward, Eric has researched the most common administrative violations that waste millions of taxpayer dollars annually and cost good firefighters their jobs. Eric started the Career Survival Group with the mission of helping firefighters and their departments avoid those administrative risks. Good morning, Eric, and thank you for being a guest on the show today. How are you? Good morning, Berlin. Thank you very much for having me. It's a beautiful day here in Southern California. <laughs> That's good to hear because the last, uh, I'd say four weeks, six weeks here in Seattle, we don't typically get sun before the 4th of July and it's been 70, 80, 90 degrees the last six weeks. Wow. And today it's about 50 and cloudy. So um, I'm glad it's still sunny, sunny down there. So, um, so before we get started today, would you mind sharing a little bit about Eric Rossoff, how Career Survival Group came about, as well as uh, your journey with Fire Chief Brian Cummings? Sure. Uh, it's um, one of those things, Berlin, that, uh, you know, you kind of fall into and you don't recognize it when it's happening. And I'm sure you and many of your listeners have gone through a similar set of circumstances. You get an assignment like you didn't want. And then all of a sudden it ends up being something like really, really good for your career. But uh, I spent 31 years in law enforcement and I can actually hear your listeners snickering right now and busting my chops, you know, because I've been doing this now uh I've done over 125 agency-wide trainings in wow. the United States and Canada. I've been in front of many firefighters. And as soon as you find out I'm a cop, it starts. You know, what do we have in common? We both wanted to be firefighters. And why the good Lord put firefighters here so cops could have heroes. You know, I've heard it all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my journey into, uh, into fire service um, uh, started back in 2007 when California enacted what was been back then this brand new law called the Firefighter Procedural Bill of Rights. A firefighter in California, if there is going to be uh, an uh, investigation into allegations of misconduct, uh, labor-driven state law mandates how that investigation must proceed. Firefighters have rights. It's the agency's responsibility to make sure firefighters are afforded all of those rights in every phase of the investigation. Well, overnight, I became an expert in that law because I happened to be working internal affairs for my police department. And there was a police officer bill of rights in California that already existed. Mm -hmm. And the police officer bill of rights and firefighter bill of rights were almost word for word the same. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, procedurally, they're exactly the same. The difference is we got the police officer bill of rights in California in uh, 1977. Firefighters got their bill of rights in 2007. Oh, wow. So we've had 30 years of this law to build like a process to make sure we can do those investigations when we have to do them, um, uh, but also make sure that we're affording the firefight the police officers their rights in yes. every phase. Uh, well, 
uh, my little entrepreneurial light went on when this uh, when this law was enacted because a lot of fire departments in California weren't ready for this. They didn't know the process, and I had the process. Mm-hmm. So this all started back in 2007. I contacted every LA city or LA county fire chief, and I said, "Hey, if you get one of these investigations, I can help with you. I know the process." Wow. I never did the investigation. I would just um, walk them through the process. It became incredibly popular, incredibly quickly. I'm sure. And I'm getting phone calls, not just from LA County, but now because in fire service, you're all very good about sharing resources. Um, they, uh, I was getting phone calls from chiefs up and down the state of California. Hey, are you the guy that does the thing? Wow. And uh, what happened was pretty quickly a uh, pattern developed because I kept on hearing the same stories. It didn't wow. matter who was calling. Uh, they were all telling me exactly the same story. And it was about a firefighter or firefighters whose careers might be in jeopardy, mm-hmm. right? So I got interested in that, yeah. in that pattern, uh, in those stories. So probably about 2008, 2009, I started to do some research. And uh, it was simple as first. Uh, you know, it was just internet-based searches with keywords. And the words were firefighter fired, firefighter terminated. And it was like on Google and Yahoo. And I bought into a website called LexisNexis that does a little bit deeper scrub. And every it still happens today. Every day I wake up, I'm reading an article or a document about a firefighter or firefighters somewhere in the country that are losing their job. Wow! And you know what? That pattern has held the entire time that I've been doing this research. Firefighter terminations are incredibly predictable. I can tell you what you're going to get fired for. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, uh, they're also, um, they change a little bit in frequency. Sure. You know, what, what's the most prevalent thing that's going on? Uh, and uh, then what happened was, uh, as I had gathered all this information, but I didn't know what it means because uh, I've never spent the night in a fire station Yeah. Uh, type of thing. So about 2010 or so, um, I, I had all this information and I wrote a report um, and it was just, hey, this is the, I did, I did research. Mm-hmm. And by that time I had become pretty good friends with a group of fire chiefs local fire chiefs. And I invited, I presented them the report. I brought them out to lunch and I said, Hey folks, I think you chiefs, I think you're doing this from the wrong end. You know, instead of doing, um, uh, you know, uh, better investigations, which we still should do. Maybe the key would be the best investigations. The one we mm. never have to do. Right. Let's get in front. Let's do some prevention, Yes, you know, and focus on that. That's where the value is. Just like you do fire prevention operationally. Yep. Let, what do we, why do we do that? Yep. Because we know there's going to be fires and we know yes. they're dangerous. So yep. let's try to minimize the impact or mitigate the impacts of those. The same thing we can do with predictable um, administrative or what I call code of conduct. Because firefighter terminations, I can't say never Berlin, yep. uh, but hardly ever does a firefighter get fired for an operational application. Mm. Firefighters get fired when you have a little bit of time on your hands. Yes, Firefighters get fired for like shenanigans. Yeah. For those for code of conduct violations. Yeah. So, uh, and t- to introduce Brian Cummings into this, Brian was the fire chief in the Los in the city of Los Angeles. We had gotten to know each other uh, a bit, and then I read in the local paper that he was retiring, and I took a dare and I called him up and I said, wow. "Hey, Brian, would you be interested in helping me with this?" And he jumped on board, and the next thing I knew, we were at like FRI and national conventions because wow. he knows everybody everywhere, and it ballooned into a business. 
Well, that's uh, wow. That's uh, wow. That is a whole lot there, and I, I look forward to this conversation and 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 connections. And you mentioned the fire service. We we connect. We share information, which is such a true statement, which is such a powerful statement because it goes to the strength of the fire service and tradition and all that. Uh, but it's interesting. Yeah, you you joked about you know oh, you know law enforcement and my li- the listeners are you know they're already chuckling. Uh, but we talk on this podcast all the time. Perspective is everything. Like if we don't have outside perspective or if we're not willing to bring in someone else to, to 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 offer their opinion their views it's just we're in this big old you know echo chamber of just saying the same things hearing the same things and doing the same things um, so i love this i mean the fact that there's this career survival group and you've got a law enforcement perspective as well as the fire perspective and you're kind of bringing it all together and like you said you've done the research you've done the investigations and you talk about credibility and i think that's that's exactly what this is so um so i'm excited so um i'm not sure i told you this i may i may have uh we've had two guests on this show uh two separate guests completely separate guests and uh they both mentioned literally on this podcast they said hey have you guys checked out the career survival group and then one of them was like, oh, my gosh, they're actually in the next room right over because you were actually in Kent and we were uh, shooting one of these episodes. Uh, but the interesting part about that is, as you mentioned, you 120 plus fire departments throughout the nation. I mean, this uh, you guys are out there and uh, I think uh, the listeners are going to learn so much. So so thank you so much. So um, you talked about predictable is preventable. I know, you know, Gordon Graham and you just yeah. every, everything you just said is let's get the best investigation is the one that. That, that never has to happen. And and I love that. And I'll talk about proactive versus reactive because that's something we've mentioned on this show as well. But let's just jump right into this. You mentioned uh, company officers or sorry, firefighters, if for that matter, get in trouble more often, you know, for administrative or in fire station tasks, not necessarily on the fire ground. Looking at that from the surface, it's like, well, how is that possible? It's like the dangerous things that we do is fighting the fires. So uh, can we uh, just start with that? Uh, what, what exactly do you mean? And what, what, uh, what particular code of conduct are you talking about? Sure. And I think, uh, you know, it, uh, the, I love that perspective is everything, you know, and you think about when people sign up and they say, I want to be a firefighter, you know, young man, young woman says, Hey, I want to be a firefighter. And they sign up for the job. They come into this with their eyes open, you know, and they know part of the job that I have is, uh, uh, at any given day can be extremely dangerous. And some of us sign up because of that. I mean, we get drawn to that, yep. you know, type of a thing. And, but what we don't see are the other dangers. And I can tell you, and I know, I mean, we can put the numbers out, but I don't think this will surprise anybody that uh, a firefighter is um, significantly more likely to lose their job than be killed in the line of duty, to be fired than killed in the line of duty, significantly more likely. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And what I'm going to, what we're going to focus on, right, is look at everything that you do operationally to recognize the dangers and make sure that your folks are prepared. You have pre-event protocols, you have during the event protocols, and then you have even post-event protocols and after action reports, right, to learn and put things in perspective. What what did we do well? What, uh, What can we do better along the lines of what can we do better? Where does that fit? Was it a pre-event thing we should have been doing better? Was it a during the event thing that we should have been doing? And, but we don't have, we really don't have anything like that for administrative or mm-hmm. uh, or um, code of conduct risk. Although we know 100% they are going to happen. Yes. They are predictable. Yep. And so the whole premise of career survival is to, and let me back up a little bit. I know you have listeners right now. They're saying, I'm going to turn this off and I want to get there before mm-hmm. you turn it off. Please don't. 
Yep. This guy's talking, this guy's comparing line of duty deaths to somebody getting a piece of paper that says you don't work here anymore. You know, th this is, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And your listeners, there's no way for them to know me, but I've got direct experience with line of duty death. Yep. I would never in a million years compare or contrast the tragedy that it is that somebody gets killed in the line of duty to somebody getting a piece of paper that says you don't work here anymore. Okay. For any of your listeners, think about what would your day look like tomorrow? If today you got that piece of paper that says you don't work here anymore, mm -hmm. that's a devastating moment for you and your family. Absolutely. Hey, hey, you know what? Funny, sorry, funny thing happened at work. I don't have a job anymore. Health benefits, paychecks that are coming in, the pride of the entire agency, all the work that we put in, the squandering of taxpayer public trust. We're yeah. meaningless without public trust, yes. right? Yes. All that's gone on that piece of paper. There's mm -hmm. consequences to that piece of paper too. You know, and uh, uh, and when we talk about just the economics of it, I read a Bureau of Labor Statistics report that said uh, separating from a skilled employee and firefighters or off the charts skilled employees uh, cost your community over five times that uh, employee's salary. Wow. Right. Wow. And what do firefighters make like $10 million a year or something like that? <laughs> if they're taking all the overtime out there, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like to get my shots into every now and then. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll but, take it. We'll take it. But anyway, um, and where's that money come from? If we don't have like a slush fund, any, you know, you have like a strategic plan that's talking about five new firefighters or a new piece of equipment or retrofitting or building a brand, all that goes on the shelf again, because mm -hmm. we got to pay that. Exactly. You know? So um, the perspective is, Getting that piece of paper is a devastating moment across the board and for the employee, for the agency, for the community. And many of these things we could be in front of. We, we could get in front of a lot of these behaviors if we recognize them and apply that operational standard. Why are you so good operationally? Yes. You know, oh. and think about that when it comes to administrative and code of conduct. Yes. Well, I, I love how you just said that right there. You said, why are we so good operationally? We've talked about this with our guests and the leaders that have come on and spoke because uh, we do a lot of we do a lot of training on those hard skills, right? We we we'll get out there and we'll put in you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hours on focusing on operational stuff, right? Pulling hose, throwing ladders, uh, you know, tactically sound those types of things. But how many hours are we putting into the other stuff, whether it be the soft skills or we're going to go down this path right now, the administrative tasks? And so, I mean, like like honestly, like I'll, I'm thinking to myself, how many hours of my day? And my training on the admin tasks, like it, it doesn't compare. It just, it doesn't compare. And I'm actually somebody that, uh, that some, someone enjoys the inside station admin tasks. And I know that most firefighters don't, but point being is it's, as you mentioned, predictable is preventable. As you mentioned, a lot of the stuff, there's investigations that happen. We can see them happening. When we look at the numbers, I, I guess I could see it too, right? Operationally, we're putting 90% of our training into that, but you're telling us that operationally, we're getting in trouble more administratively. So with that, what are some of these uh, admin tasks? What are some of these inside the fire station things that firefighters are getting in, in trouble for? There's actually a very consistent uh, list, Berlin. And let me, I'm going to just touch on what something you just said. In no way, shape or form am I recommending that we take anything away oh, from absolutely. those operational time that yeah. we're putting in. That, But I would say that uh, the, 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 the maybe frequency and, um, uh, specific manipulative, like when you go out as a crew to go train, you know, everybody goes, mm -hmm. uh, but there's a reason for that, right. As a, the officer has to see that the firefighters can do their task, Absolutely. And maybe more importantly, the firefighters need to have confidence that the officer is capable of running this task, uh, on a, uh, 
uh, on a similar uh, maybe footprint, but maybe not as frequent or as much time, we can be doing those same administrative things. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's a, uh, it's a kitchen table conversation. Some of this training is a kitchen table conversation just to, you know, as an officer, right, you do a safety briefing, you know, for, and you uh, audit your critical systems, your, uh, you know, your face mask and all that stuff. We audit those things to make sure they're going to work. The same thing applies when it comes to just, hey, where are we at right now? Let me put my thumb on the pulse administratively for these predictable things that we're going to go into. The most frequent things that I read about include, and right now, Probably the number one thing that I'm reading about has to do with pay. Uh, there's probably a couple of reasons for this. Um, uh, the first thing is, excuse me, sorry. Uh, the first thing is um, there's been a couple of pretty big scandals, uh, pay-related scandals. Uh, one in law enforcement here in uh, this state of California, and then in the Midwest, two really big fire departments uh, where folks were messing with overtime. And then the second thing is we're coming out of uh, the pandemic. And uh, I know like up in Washington state that, you know, uh, there were a lot of separations, a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety, but fire departments across the country are running at critical shortages. Yep. We're working our folks to the bone. And uh, the best way I think I can describe this Berlin, if you'll allow me, Absolutely. is um, uh, this phone is a taxpayer dollar. <laughs> okay. And what happens is that taxpayer dollar ends up in a firefighter's pocket, okay? There's a trip that that takes. Along the way, there's a couple of stops. Uh, The first stop is uh, your contract, your MOU. You have a contract that says the firefighter's gonna accomplish these things. And for doing that, they're gonna be paid this much and receive these types of benefits. Mm -hmm. Because you're a 24 seven operation, 365, there's a lot of moving parts. We have to accommodate firefighters not being at work. Uh, overtime, uh, force hires, shift trades, whatever those things are. And you have policies that are written that talk about how that works. Yeah. So that's what the taxpayer dollar comes. It goes through your MOU, through the policy, into the firefighter's pocket. When I'm reading about it, Berlin, it took a left turn. Hmm. Somewhere that taxpayer dollar wasn't inside that little chute. Mm-hmm. And that's where guys will say, oh, I can't work this shift. Uh, we, I'll give you 500 bucks. Will you work this shift for me? you know, type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And the guy says 500 bucks off the books. That's great. You know? And then I go, well, I didn't have to work that shift. The, uh, the officer on the rig looks at it and goes, yeah. Um, you know, the, here's how we rationalize it. The taxpayers are getting what they're paying for. Cause right. I I have a full company going out, right. right. But follow that taxpayer dollar. I was at home, right. Mm-hmm. I'm not working. And mm-hmm. a taxpayer dollar ended up in my pocket mm-hmm. and I'm outside, whatever the process is. Now we look, we look at that a little bit and we go, I, I don't think most of this is sinister. Sure. You know, I think it's just because where does a new firefighter learn about things like shift trades and overtime at your kitchen table? Yeah. They don't read the policy. There, there is no, Hey kid, this is how we do it. Yeah. And some senior firefighters saying, Hey kid, you're going to work this shift for me. That yeah. becomes the way that we do everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and uh, so what I read about is sometimes it is sinister. It's with intent. Uh, and other times it's just, we're trying to keep the wheels turning in a very critical time. Uh, but because they're like many things get driven by scandals, yeah. many changes driven by scandals because there's been these scandals. Now there's outside agencies that are starting to look at larger agencies, uh, you know, like, uh, because that's a taxpayer dollar, that's a federal crime. Mm-hmm. It can be a state crime. So you have these investigative agencies that are going to larger fire departments 
and shutting the whole operation down and doing a forensic audit of everything to do with pay. And that's become an issue. Now, uh, as these things do, they start to trickle down to the mid mid size agencies, the smaller agencies. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden somebody's saying, and and Berlin, it's not like, Hey, I'm looking what happened in the last shift. They'll do a five-year review Mm -hmm. of all things. And it's, they're pinging cell phones to yeah. see where the firefighter was. Yeah. You know, wow. they're looking at their uh, access card swipes and stuff wow. because no longer is it an administrative thing. They're doing a criminal investigation. Yeah. Wow. So, and you're, you're seeing this uh, multiple times. Not- yeah. If, yeah. I, I invite you and anybody that, that's in here, Google fire department pay scandal. Interesting. Wow. And in that nanosecond stuff is going to jump up at you and you're yeah. going to see it. So I, I I don't think it's an epidemic by any yeah, stretch sure. of the imagination. Yeah. What it is is something that's getting otherwise good, viable, hardworking firefighters fired. Right, right. Now there are other people that are stealing money. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Yes. Um, and so, you know, but the the path to that, yeah. uh, uh, minimizing both of those things is what yeah. we try to do with fires, right? Yeah. We know it's going to be there. So yeah. we try to prevent it on the first side or mitigate it so it doesn't get bigger. Right. Absolutely. And yeah. So let's go back to what does your policy say? What, what, and now if your policies aren't um, efficient for the current status of the fire department, then that's where labor and management get together and they have a sidebar that talks about things. But what we do is we take it upon ourselves. Right. And we say, oh, no, we're just going to do it this way. The kitchen table makes this decision yeah. about how we're going to do it. Yeah. And I, uh, the kitchen table should almost always, you know, if I'm a, 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 a officer at a fire station, I've got my policy manuals and MOU yeah. at the kitchen table. There you go. There you and, go. And, and let's look at what the book says yeah. you know, before yeah. we decide what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because uh, again, I don't, what, what pains me when I read these things, because you can see this, uh, the, um, the headline firefighter or firefighters fired. The first paragraph, why they got fired, or you know, he or she got fired. But the next paragraph is almost always what a great firefighter they were. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, firefighter of the year, Medal of Valor winners sometimes, uh, active in their communities, training officers. This incredibly yeah. valuable, prideful member of our agency yeah. is getting that piece of paper for a predictable, frequently knucklehead thing. Yeah, that's can, devastating. How much uh, does past practice uh, does that hold any weight? In it terms does. of you know you know what I mean like uh, there's the 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 verbiage of this say it was outdated or last updated we'll say twenty years ago, uh, but for the last sixteen years for an example you know the practice historically has been this and there's you know it's been run this way, right wrong or indifferent for you know hundreds of occasions in your in your eyes in these investigations do they does past practice over time work or does it help in these investigations or no does it uh, from when I'm going to put my labor hat on for a second. And I'm going to say past practice is a very good term to throw out there mm-hmm. for what is now considered to be aberrant behavior or outside yeah. the uh, expectation behavior. Now, but then I'm going to throw my investigator criminal hat on. Past practice doesn't have to help you at all yeah. when yeah. it comes to a criminal investigation. Yeah. Yeah. It's our job as the agency to stay in front of what the current status is. Uh, the One of the things you just hit this, I, I'll tell you, perhaps as important as anything else at the agency standard is we're holding um, firefighters, especially company officers, we're holding them accountable to expectations that we're not making clear. And that's a very dangerous place for the whole agency to be because you hit it. Many uh, fire departments, you know, the, when they update their policy manual, 
is when somebody gets hurt. Right. And they yep. said, Oh, you yep. know, put Joe over there. You know, he's, he got a broken leg. Let's uh, let's have him work on the policies, you know, and uh, that's the only time some of these things get, get updated. And so, like I said, the company officer should have the book, you know, the policy manual, but if you have to blow the dust off of it and the, the pages are turning yellow, it's not even digital yet. You know, the, then there's, something that wrong. Would, there's, there's a, we're, we're, we're setting our folks up for failure. It'd be like uh, going to a 1975 uh, um, training guide for fighting a car fire type of a thing. Yeah. And I bet you it looks different today than it did in 1975. But yeah. now we're saying the workplace 1975 guidance on the workplace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, what are the I, expectations? So going with that, because we want to obviously recognize an issue and put the, put a team together and solve the issue. Yeah. Um, the, so what we're talking about here is whether it be intent. I love how you said at the kitchen table, you know, have contract, have policies available. Uh, you know, uh, in our fire stations, it's, it's actually awesome. I think at every single fire station that I think of in our organization, we have our labor contract. It's actually just hanging on the wall right behind us. So it's easily accessible. But I love that how you say have the let's have the policy book as well. And, you know, and, and it's it's a, it's an environment that is more or less a pipe dream. It'll probably never happen. But anytime a conversation come up, instead of just filling with emotion, how about we fill it with fact? Oh, there's that topic. Let's go grab this. And let's actually talk about what's actual, not you're, just what our opinion is. You're talking crazy right now. <laughs> right, aren't I? Yeah. Go to, go um, to, and that's why we have these. That's why we have these conversations. Yeah. Listen, I, I started as a police officer in 1981. Right. So. Mm -hmm. In the law, ours wasn't necessarily a kitchen table, you know, because cops are out working. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. We are too, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, we'll, we'll take it all day. Right? We, yeah. we have to. We have to so, take our fair share. Um, but the locker room controlled uh, the policy and, you know, it was lore. Everything was based on lore. Um, and so, but uh, like you said, the emotion kicks in. Well, this is the way that we've always done it. All those keys, you know, that you sit there, I would like to get that idea that when we say uh, if a firefighter was to come up to you and say hey you know captain hey whatever or hey senior firefighter how do we do this operational thing they would take them and say come with me i'm going to show you how to do this because this is important that doesn't happen when it comes to code of conduct mm -hmm. or uh culture well the book says one thing but this is the way that, that we really do it you know uh you mentioned gordon graham earlier you know he talks about those flags the conversational flags mm -hmm. that go yeah. up you know, yeah. oh, that's just Eric. You know, that's a big flag. I say, kid, and uh, can I ask Berlin how much time you've got on the job? I'm sorry. Uh, I ask you that. Just over 15, just past 15 yeah. years last so week. So when you came out of the academy, I can almost guarantee there was somebody who said, hey, kid, forget everything you ever learned in the academy. This is how we do it. It happens still to this day. Fractured. We're fractured at that point. Mm -hmm. So these conversations that we're having are trying to reduce that chasm. Yes. You know, uh, a bit and sit there and say, listen, these things are dangerous. And um, you know, there, uh, we, when we are giving an otherwise viable firefighter that for instance, they've been five years old before yeah. to be a firefighter yeah. and they've been here just a little bit of time. And we're saying, Hey, you got to go because you did some predictable knucklehead thing that's so, on us. So with that, uh, what's, uh, in, in your findings and, uh, because I, I, I would be certain that, uh, when these things come up, uh, organizationally, it forces change rightfully. So yeah. what are some of the things that you've seen? Uh, for this example specifically, or just anything related to it, uh, changes that happen. Like what do uh, administrators, but then even more so the company officers in stations, what do you see as 
as, as major changes that are being implemented to further prevent these things? Um, I can give you a couple of examples. I want to, uh, I keep on doing this too. I want to go back and cover oh, I love the, those other Please. issues, why people are, are I want to really focus on pay, yes. but let's just, if we can touch on those other things and yes, then I'm going to go into going to change. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, the, in no specific order, um, social media is still, I just read an article this morning about a firefighter that got fired for social media mm. uh, issues. And uh if there is any good news to that, it isn't, it's no longer guesswork, both, uh, well, at the United States Supreme Court, at least right now, and who's to say this doesn't change, but the Supreme Court has been very specific on social media related cases um, uh, that, uh, you know, because the argument has always been, hey, I have a first, I didn't waive rights when I became a firefighter, I've got a First Amendment right to say whatever I want to say. And the Supreme Court has been very clear. And they said, no, absolutely, you have a First Amendment right to say whatever you want to say. But I'm going to paraphrase it. But what they've said is um, <clears throat> uh, the First Amendment guarantees your right of expression, right? Post. You've exercised that right. It doesn't mm -hmm. say expression without consequences. Uh, it says expression. Yeah. And you, we're a public service agency uh, and we have to have public trust. And as soon as one or, or more of our members compromise public trust, uh, that starts to impact us. Yeah. yeah. Right. And the chief's job is to maintain trust in the whole agency. So mm -hmm. if I've got someone that has compromised public trust, my I have to let them go. And, you know, you can use, you know, because I hear this all the time, Eric, you're talking about public trust. I've got public trust. Look at my body of work. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I've been here 15 years and, you know, every time the call goes out, I go do my job. I do it well. I don't care what you look like, what you believe, how you orient. I do my job. I do it well. I have public trust. Mm -hmm. And what the court said about that was your body of work is who you were. What you just said on social media, that's who you are. Mm -hmm. And who you are is somebody that com compromised public trust. What they basically said is we don't get to decide what public trust is. The mm -hmm. public will go ahead and decide that. Yeah. Now yeah. you might use your body of work to try to get your job back, mm -hmm. right? But now you're on the outside looking in. So what we try to make sure, and I, I, I that, that really has uh, been on the decline. Uh, after the events surrounding George Floyd, the landscape was littered with firefighters and uh, uh, police officers losing their job for social media, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that is, I, I think you we're going to go into this next where you talk about what's the change. Frequently change is a dr event driven. You know, something really bad happened and yes. then we change the way that we do things. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been enough bad related to social media where people have touched the uh, the hot stove enough. They go, ooh, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's hot. I'm going to stay away from that. Mm -hmm. um, but social, it's, I still read about it, and uh, but not as prevalent. Okay, um, not as prevalent. Okay. Lying and cover-ups would be the next thing. Okay. I read frequently about a group of firefighters that get fired because they covered up or they lied about uh, something. And the real frustrating thing about this, Berlin, is frequently the thing they're lying about or trying to cover up wouldn't have been a termination offense. You know, yes. uh, if I could, along this line, if I could give one thing, yeah. it would be um, uh, acknowledge we're flawed. We're going to make mistakes. Yes, and hey, I made a mistake. I'm really sorry. goes a long way. Yeah. Because, yeah. Of, you know, picture this, you know, a firefighter comes into a fire uh, to the kitchen table and says, man, I think I might have screwed this up. Yep. You know, and what's the first question we ask is who else knows frequently. Yeah. Yeah. And th then it starts. You know, yeah. and we go, hey, go to that, um, you know, the paramedic thing that you just filled out and let's change it. Mm. And now we've created a huge problem Yeah. Know, versus hey, and the officer in the room going, well, let's go tell this chief what you just told me and let's yeah. let's make it a funny retirement story. 
yeah. you know, instead of getting instead a piece of, of paper a... that says you don't work here anymore. Yeah. Well, ownership but, and, uh, and humility. And, right. uh, sometimes we, uh, unfortunately, will we, we, we run into those, but yeah. you know, mistakes happen. We've talked about that a lot in this, uh, in this podcast is, uh, just mistakes will happen. Failures will happen. Um, and it sounds like to you is, and we've said this before, right? Lying, stealing or cheating. You don't, you know, in the fire service and the, in law enforcement, just, just don't, don't do these, those things. And I think it goes to, you know, making a mistake if they're going to happen, own it, have some humility to say, maybe I did this wrong or I did this wrong. And let's, let's figure out how to fix this. I read about an entire company that was fired trying to cover up a very minor traffic thing. They backed into a telephone pole Mm. and they lied about it, you know? And uh, so, and versus, Hey, we backed into a telephone pole, you know, type of thing. But what I, this, I, I know the chief there and, he was telling me uh, that this crew was one of those like elite teams. Mm. You know, they were all, it was all fire department all day long, yeah. like SWAT cool. medics, cool. Yeah. you know, and uh, what was happening was, you know how we are, right? If, if the guys, they, they considered themselves to be an elite team. Mm-hmm. And I've, I figured this out and all the time I've been doing this, you know what elite actually means? Elite means you're about to get fired, <laughs> mm. you know, because once we start thinking we're better than everybody else and Agreed. we're insulated, hey, they'll never fire me. I'm too Agreed. good at this. Agreed. That's a danger. I want to be elite. Yeah. I really, I like, you know, yeah. I like to consider there, I was on yeah. elite teams, Yeah. but you got to understand what that means. It means you do it better than other people maybe, yeah. but also balance it with, or am I doing my administrative things better Yes. than everybody well, else as well? Well, I'd, I'd, let's spend some time there. It's uh, you mentioned elite, and we've talked about this a lot. I, um, I, I, I'm heavily involved. You mentioned uh, uh, you know diversity. Uh, I'm heavy into the DEI work up here in the Pacific Northwest. But um, we hear this a lot. You mentioned elite. We also hear the the best. You know, the best firefighter, the best employee, the best company officer. Well, what's what's that mean? I mean, yeah. I, I what, what's what's best mean? And, and so I'm sure you run into that as well. You know, we've got the best crew. But the best yeah. crew got in trouble. The best firefighter just got fired. We and we so, had a we had a scandal at my uh, police department that cost eleven people, well, ten people their jobs, and one guy committed suicide as a result mm-hmm. of this scandal. If you go back, there's a plaque at the station, uh, officer of the year. Six of those eleven people are on the officer of the year thing because they were in dynamically good uh, operationally folks, yeah. operationally sound folks, yeah. right? Um, and then made one or more predictable. Uh, this was a systemic thing. Uh, I'm not going to, I, I shouldn't say this like I'm pointing fingers at everybody else. This yeah. was a systemic failure, myself yeah. included Yeah. Uh, type of a thing. But we're the best. Uh, I The way I've heard it before by a person that I respect, that if you're going to be a leader, you have to be able to do 20 pushups. Uh, 10 of those pushups are operational uh, and, then mm-hmm. ten, and then 10 of them are administrative and uh, you know, code of conduct push-ups. Oh, I love it. We have a lot of people that can do 20 operationally and struggle. <laughs> yes. But yes. if you're, if you're really going to be a leader, um, there's situational leadership. Like we're out, you know, you're at a three alarm fire with four sticks up in the air. Um, at that point, you know, I would rather have maybe the person running that show that's got that operational aptitude. Yeah. But when was your last three alarm fire with four sticks up in the air? You know, and how often are we sitting at the kitchen table? Oh, I love that. We've talked about that. Do you do you, uh, do you watch sports? Uh, are you into sports? I am. Okay. What's uh what, what's your favorite sport? I'll use an analogy there because we talk about it a lot. I'm a huge Dodger fan. Oh, so baseball fan. Okay, so I'll just use baseball. And actually, uh, Chief Rickleski, who's on the show a week ago, it was a huge baseball fan as well. So I love what you just said because you. I love that analogy, and I'm gonna 
I'm going to take that or I'll, I'll use it. I always give credit. So Eric Rossoff um, will be mentioned a lot in my analogies <laughs> in the future. But I love the 20 push-up thing. 10 push-ups operationally, you got to be able to do 10 um, administratively. How many times do we see – and, you know, it's not to pick on anybody, but uh, operational – and it's good to be operationally sound. You know, 19 push-ups operationally sound. Well, for the fact – for the sake of the conversation, 50 operationally – uh, you know, push-ups and, and four administrative. So I guess where I'm going with that is, is we've talked about on this show about being really fundamentally sound in what we do the majority of the time and not just fundamentally sound in what we do the minority of the time and using fires, for example, you know, I mean, uh, 80% of what we do is EMS, right? And so we should be very, very, very good at EMS, of course, with the other stuff too. But a statistic that um, I uh, received from a chief years ago uh, in our organization, and it's not gonna be too far off, but I'm sure LA, Chicago, FDNY is gonna be a little different. But you know, 60-70% of our day is actually not on an emergency response, right? And only 20-30-40% max is on emergency response. So with that, the majority of our day is going to need to be catered to the administrative side of things or the administrative side of pushups. That's what you're saying. So I would, I guess, I guess where I'm going with that is using the analogy of pushups or baseball. Sorry, I didn't even get to the baseball analogy. Is I guess we could we we could even tip tip it to where maybe 12 of the 20 pushups should be administrative, and eight of the pushups should be operationally. Um, you know, sound because again, it goes to the majority, right? It's and and now I got to throw baseball in there because you mentioned it. Like, are we focusing a lot on you know, the home run hits, or are we looking for the base hits? You know, what do we really want to be fundamentally sound as a team or as a crew in this case? So anyways, I love that analogy about the 20 pushups. I, I love that. I go right there. Moneyball. What what happened? There you go. If the first ball. guy through the wall gets yeah. bloodied up, right? Yeah. Because you're going to have to say, let's look at this analytically. Yeah. And once in versus, hey, look at these guys are hitting all these home runs and we're yeah. paying all this money and the rest. But I love Moneyball, right? Because at yeah. the end of the thing, when he's Billy Bean is at Boston, he yeah. says, you know, you won more games for less money because you look just at the simple numbers. Yes. And you designed it by the numbers. And look at our numbers right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what uh, uh, you have to go pre-pandemic because the numbers got uh, both for terminations and line of duty deaths, mm -hmm. the pandemic. But let's go pre-pandemic. Yeah. We know that, uh, let's say 2019, I believe the number was like 57 firefighters were killed in the line of duty. You know, tragic, tragic. Absolutely. Um, but if you look at those, take that out just a step. In 2019, there were 1.1 million firefighters in the United States, both career and volunteer, that responded to over 35 million calls for service. Mm -hmm. Out of those 35 million calls for service, almost 18 million of them were hazardous in nature. Mm -hmm. And we only lost 57 firefighters. That, that those are those are some there's those numbers. And right. why? Because we knew come, we came in with our eyes open. We know this is a dangerous job and we're going to be ready for it. Yes. I can tell you in 2019, I tracked well over 500 terminations. And I believe it's at least twice that number uh, because I can only get my hands on things that have been made public. And these things yes. are hardly ever made public. Yes. And um, also, I would never hear about like a resignation or, or you know, uh, somebody retired in lieu. Sure. But we know those things are out there. So just do a, do a money ball thing to yeah, it. What yeah. are the numbers? Yes. And just, and then adjust to the numbers and do your pushups. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and do your pushups. It's, it's totally true. And I'm um, actually, we're, uh, there's a pump academy. There's an engineer academy happening um, just in, in the next door over. And we've talked about that. And the numbers are the numbers. And the analogy we used yesterday is driving water tenders, the, you know, the big apparatus mm -hmm. with a bunch of water. It's uh, we talk about what's the most dangerous 
thing that we do in terms of frequency and 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 then the risk and actual occurrences. And so X amount of uh, accidents because tenders are so infrequently driven, but when they are, it's very, very high risk. And yeah. so as we talk about, you know, just the numbers, when you, when you get data, it gives you, it gives you what, what actually happens out there, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's the data. Right. And it helps you affirm that what you're doing is correct. Yes. You know, that when we look at it and say, boy, the only 57, and then you break those line of duty deaths down yeah. and you look at, boy, we're doing something right here. Because look at all these folks that were exposed to all these incredibly hazardous situations. And we well, we minimized, you know, but again, the firefighter today is more likely to be fired than killed in line of duty or suffer a career ending injury mm-hmm. combined. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you, when you just look at those numbers and they are going to be predictable things, yeah. uh, that's when we start to build that little thing of, okay, let's take that model that we have operationally. And you touched on part of this, Berlin, I would say maybe the at the agency uh uh-huh. the the uh uh really where are we we're related to Paul like you have sops and sogs for operations yeah right where are are and are they antiquated yeah uh, and that's not something we fix quickly but it is one right. of those strategic plans that we look at and we say and i think we'll get into the next the segment you were heading to is how do yeah. we impact change yes right is that's maybe one of the first things that we do is let's make sure that we have uh, uh, our written policies specifically for these high risk ones. Yes. Let's make sure those are in order first. Yes. Um, and if you permit me, let me go on. I got please. two more things to talk about. Please, the, please. Uh, Absolutely. I've uh, got a list the, going right now, please. The, um, uh, the one that I think is, uh, uh, the most painful that I read about is the firefighter that, uh, steals narcotics from the agency or a patient mm. because they got addicted to pain meds. Mm. And so, and again, when you look at the, the, just the numbers, uh, there's not, uh, a group of, uh, people that are probably more subject to both emission, uh, emotional and physical trauma than firefighters. Right. 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 And, Agreed. uh, 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 and then we have firefighters generally have instant access to meds, yep. whether it's agency meds or patient meds. Mm-hmm. And when you follow it, you, a firefighter went through what we know was a, a trauma, like a, uh, physical trauma, or even an emotional one that we knew yeah. about. Mental, emotional, yeah. And uh, then what happens is I believe, now again, some of this is sinister. I read about some paramedics that were systematically stealing narcotics and selling them on the street. Mm. Uh, that, that hurts the whole agency. Absolutely, yeah. But the one that I'm focused on is the otherwise good, viable person that is going through a trauma and yes. they either are prescribed or they self-medicate. Yeah, they and rely they on get it. In, they get into an addiction. And so my remedy to that is a couple, it has to do with inventories. Uh, the first is we inventory our people. Yeah. Uh, we know our folks and whether the trauma has manifested itself or maybe not manifest itself, we can see what's happening at the kitchen table with that firefighter. Yeah. And the general thing that we do, the first layer of inventory is, Hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. You know, it yeah. seems like something's going on. And what we say, and that what's the response to that is always, Oh, Hey, Berlin, thanks so much for asking, man. I'm going through a bad patch. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Right. And but then we kind of walk away. Yes. Because, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. You know, I asked, I'm going to say, oh, okay, we're going to take that a step further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And especially if I'm an officer in any work environment, uh, uh, most agencies have pretty robust employee assistance programs, mm-hmm. peer support. But when was the last time the officer ran that system? It's uh, exactly. And I love where you're going with that. So, yes. And I'll let you finish, but it's, it goes to exactly that. How many of our company officers will say are, formally trained in peer support. I mean, 1%, 5%. I mean, shouldn't it be 100%? 
to an extent, or, right? Or at least be comfortable with accessing. Yes, it. yes. Uh, because, you know, it, it's like any low frequency, high risk tool that you use. Yeah. You know, uh, you work it, you, you run the system. Yeah. Uh, j- uh, just so, because it's a tool and you're yeah. more likely to pull that tool off if you're comfortable with it. Yes. You know, and then somebody, uh, and another thing that that does just as a side note, because it happened recently, I was at a relatively large agency doing the training. And I was talking about this, about company officers knowing what their EAP was. And they started to squirm in the room a little bit. I go, okay, what's going on? And they t- shared with me a story that a couple of months ago, a company officer did make the phone call on behalf of one of his, um, one of his uh, firefighters mm-hmm. and nobody answered the phone. Hmm. And when they tracked that down, what they had found out was the city had changed vendors, but that information never made it out to the floor. So why do you audit things like chainsaws and face masks and the rest? Great. Make sure they're working. Yes. <laughs> you know, that so, they're going to come on. Another so administrative task. From, yeah. From once every year or so, whether you need it or not, those officers should be making that phone call and just saying, I'm running the system. Oh, and, love you know, I just want to know that it works. So yeah. that's one inventory is we we watch yes. our folks. And maybe the, the person that is having that bad day, Berlin, that you yep. had to engage with, yep. if that's the person that says, Hey, uh, Lieutenant, Hey, Captain, I forgot something inside the house. I'm going back in. That's a two in two out, Yes, <laughs> you know, type of it's not because I don't trust them, but I, right. I think that many of these things that I read about started as one rationalized event. Yes. I didn't come to work thinking I was going to steal today, uh, but I'm hurting so bad. I'm just going to do it this one time. And now we're down that slippery slope. And then the, uh, the other inventory is agency narcotics that, I know I hear everywhere I go, there's no way anyone gets into one of our narcotics boxes. And my thought is that I don't know what those systems are, um, but I read about it all the time. And I yeah. don't imagine yours is any different than yeah. or much different than anybody else's. Right. Probably the so, same. And, and your folks are pretty, if I give you a firefighter enough time, <laughs> yeah, they, they can they can be pretty uh, ingenious. <laughs> so get a lot um, of company, right? Well, and I don't, uh, what I've also heard, I, I don't know uh, regionally how this applies. But many agencies have gone to that 4896 uh, schedule. Many have. We have not. What I heard for that 4896 is sometimes the second day inventories and audits might not be as robust as the first day. Mm-hmm. So the medics are just going, hey, we the box was good yesterday. It's good today. And so yeah. if I'm that firefighter that's hurting and I'm watching that, that it was more of a wink, wink, nod, nod than a visual inventory, mm-hmm. I might be leaning towards going in. You know, and say, even if they catch this, it'll look like a clerical error a month from now, you know, type of a thing. And so they might be a little bit more prone to make that one bad rationalized event. And I think the undercurrent to this whole thing is agency and at the kitchen table, we promote the idea that coming forward and saying something is bothering me uh, is a courageous moment, not a sign of weakness. Because then every other step that we're taking about prevention is uh, is just acknowledging the fact that uh, this is a, a a difficult job. When I started on the job, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if I'd have gone in the locker room and said, hey, that baby not breathing call got to me, they would have stuffed me in my locker. You know, we've come a long way from there. Yes. But there's still a lot of work to do. Absolutely. There totally you know? is. And there totally is. And I, I and I, I think as we are going to venture down to, you know, what can we do as individuals, as leaders, as aspiring emerging leaders to to be better, right? Then that's what we're here for is to yeah. recognize what has happened to and then let's let's focus on being better. But how much of it do you um believe in, you know, in further your investigations that because as we know, we as you just mentioned, mental health, you know, we've come a long way. We're still a long way to go. 
Uh, how much of a lot of this, whether it be, you know, the, you talked about pay, social media, admin, agency, narcotics, uh, you know, lying, you know, stealing, whatever it may be. How much of this is in, in your either estimation or through your investigations is mental health related, you know, uh, whether it be burnout from, from, from individuals and, you know, mentally, emotionally struggling. And then you start to see, you know, behaviors inside the fire stations kind of go downhill. Is it, is, is, you know, you kind of know what I'm getting at? Yes, I do. And I think it's an incredibly valid point. And I would say that everything that we're talking about, there is a, a percentage of the decision that was made, the poor decision or decisions that were made uh, there's going to be some sort of tie into uh, whether it was preventative or mm-hmm. uh, contributory. <laughs> yeah, there's a mental health aspect in it. In some things like the the uh, narcotics, uh, the the last thing that we were going to talk about about the danger is the workplace, you know, and with the things that are happening at the kitchen table that are contrary to the expectations of a professional work environment. And a huge part of that, I think we can take right back to just the stress that's going on in the world around us, landing at the kitchen table and us maybe being so, uh, a couple of things, just so wound up that the kitchen table becomes a vent, Yes, right, for many of our folks, or we just get, uh, we're numb to it because it's going on and we don't recognize that the things that are coming out of our mouths or what we're saying or doing, because we just, I have to be able to go to some place uh, to vent out what's going on here. And, you know, I hear people, a lot of, I'm not going to say pushback, but a, a lot of feedback that I get is saying, because we talk a lot about the workplace in the class that I do. Uh, Cause I think if we can really work on the workplace yeah, that we have a positive impact on everything else that we're talking yes. about. Yeah. But Eric is such a day, you know, we have like a gallows humor, you know, we have to be able to find a way, you know, to put this stuff out. I said, no, I'm not taking that away from you. But right. remember that, what are you talking about? This pent up, we're seeing these horrible things. And instead of going into the station and letting go with a litany verse of, you know, uh, language or whatever it might be, you've got a peer support group over here, yeah. which is directly, you know, in put in place to be able to, that's a, a, an appropriate professional path to let go of those things that yeah. are, uh, but we don't see it as that. We see that as being a weakness. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, sit, sitting at the kitchen table and being and and listen, I'm not trying to take away that part. I think right. uh, I think us, uh, I think we do have a gallows humor, and I think we yeah. do participate in some things from time to time. And I'm not suggesting that we take that away. Sure, sure. What I'm saying is, we have like everything else. There's a proportion, you know, a portionate yes. response to these things. And if somebody comes into a station, you know. Uh, whatever's going on in the world is landing at the kitchen table. Yeah. And we have a lot of, I found this out everywhere I've been, Berlin. Mm-hmm. There's some firefighters that have opinions. Oh, no. It's <laughs> yes. not just up here in the Pacific Northwest. Then. Yeah, some some of firefighters have opinions. <laughs> and uh, so we'll, there'll be whatever the trigger is. Yeah. You know, you have, there's a firefighter sitting in the fire station that is 24-7 locked onto Fox News. And there's another firefighter that's locked onto CNBC. And those, they meet at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. You know, and listen, we should have debates. I got Absolutely. no problem with any of that, but we yeah. don't debate. Yes. You know, what happens is we get into a name calling, mm-hmm. you know, degrading uh, yeah. type of a thing. But uh, I'm going to get back to your original question, which was that, mental health. I love it. Yeah. A lot of that comes into, I've been looking for somebody to fight about this. And yeah. then I found them at the kitchen table. Yeah. I'll offer to you the more dangerous thing is yeah. when the kitchen table is all watching one side or the other. And then it yes. goes unchecked. 
Did yes. you see those effing badoop 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 yep. badoop? And then everybody's, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes it's the officer in the station that starts the conversation. Yeah. yeah. That would be like the officer saying, hey, listen, we're just going to drive our rig into the warehouse fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it's... Because I'm taking the whole crew with me, you know, so let, let's just go ahead and, and uh, you know, we're going to crash through the doors and just go into this burning building. I, I, I think, right. And just in my eyes, it's, it's a, it's a leader's responsibility to steer those conversations. So they're not going down the complete path of, yeah, in, right. And who am I to say the wrong direction, but we talk about negativity a lot on this podcast. We talk about the site. I, I, I love psychology and we talk about how powerful negativity can actually be, right. Cause uh, we, we, we can all remember, let's be honest. We remember the very tragic calls that we've been on in our, in our careers way more than we remember the really, really good ones. You know, the, the, the negativity stands out in our brains and our minds psychologically. Uh, but I think it's a leader's opportunity. We'll say, we'll just say opportunity to steer the direction of the conversations at the kitchen table. So they're not, you know, just going down one way, but that it, it creates an environment where people can talk about mental health. And so we can get to a lot of these preventable actions. Right. So investigations never have to happen. I think um, an incredibly important part of what you just talked about, what you just said, I agree 100%, but there is a forming and almost like a marketing thing of what we're trying to do. You've mentioned that you're uh, enthusiastic and deeply involved in DEI, but you know, if you bring in somebody as like a DEI instructor, I lose a third, if yes. not two thirds of anybody in the room. Yes. Oh yeah. I've I can speak, it. I can speak knowledgeably about DEI. I can speak knowledgeably, knowledgeably about you know, emotional intelligence, implicit bias, mm-hmm. but I, I beg places to bring me in to not call it any of that because I yep. got to fight the fact that I'm a cop coming into a fire station to mm-hmm. talk to people. Yep. Don't call me the DEI guy. Cause I guarantee what they're going to hear ties directly into everything you're trying to accomplish with DEI, yep. emotional intelligence, because I'm a boots on the ground knucklehead, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and, but my thing is I I'm talking to the rock breakers, you know, that I, I listen, I, I'm surrounded by smart people in my life. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, yes. You know, cause I don't know if I could be able to get out of bed, you know, and find that. It's, it's, <laughs> but, I'm the same way. <laughs> but, but that said, I like the rock breakers. I'm yeah. comfortable with rock breakers. And so what I try to do is say, listen, instead of the theory, I want to give you the company officer in the fire station, a couple of tools to use. Yes. And it really is like, you know, and what we talk about in our training a lot, which I think we can transition if it's all right into that whole, how do we impact? Change. Absolutely. Uh, there's a couple of parts of this, you know, first is we have to acknowledge the acknowledge the problem, you know, and then we, what, what's the, and then I would say that when you acknowledge something operational, this is a trend, you know, what do we do? Yeah. What and do we so, do? And, the, and there's a, there absolutely is a formula. First and foremost, how we survive operationally. We learn from others, right? If yep. there's a tragic outwork, outcome anywhere, yep. fire, firefighters across the country do exactly the same thing. What happened? Yeah, That's the first question. Well, actually, the first thing is we say a prayer for that firefighter and their family. Yep. Secondly is what happened? Mm-hmm. And then there'll be a critical after action report. And after that, that information goes out through regional training cadres to where officers will be sitting at the kitchen table with their crew going, that doesn't happen here. Tighten it up. Because we're not going to disrespect the memory of a fallen comrade by not learning the lesson, if there was a lesson, right? Then once we've done that, we continue to learn from others. The second thing is the agency then has the next level of responsibility. That is set very clear expectations Mm -hmm. based on that. Mm -hmm. SOPs and SOGs, right? If things change, 
So we, we, we learned, then we changed the SOP, the SOG. You're at a training cadre, right? Yep. Things change. Yes, they do. And as soon as it changes, especially if it's a significant change, right? If it's like a, a big manipulative difference, you bring people in. If it's just, hey, we're going to use this hypo instead of that hypo, we send out bulletins. But exactly. when it changes, we we change with it and we keep that. So if anybody has a question, they can go to the book yes. and see it. And then we come to the hallmark of fire service and that's training. That's yep. in reps and yes. sets and reps is. to predictable things. Operational crisis, you don't want your folks to have to rise to the occasion. If they have to rise to the occasion, as trainers, we've failed them. We want them to have enough background of doing this that it yes. becomes muscle memory. Absolutely. Here comes the bad operational thing. I yep. filtered through, well, your bravery and your training, and yep. they're just making good decisions because they've done it. And then then the last part, and this is where it uh, falls apart, if it, it's all important, but I would offer that this is the most important, mm -hmm. and that's accountability. That the firefighter holds themselves accountable to their task because they, it's a tactical athletic team. Mm -hmm. And they know if I'm not doing my job well, I, I might get hurt, but also one of these other folks might get hurt too. Then we we um, we promote peer-to-peer -peer accountability. If one of your peers maybe is on the fire ground doing something, you, you grab them. Yeah. Is he, hey, right. hey, 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 right? Right. Uh, there's supervisor to subordinate, you know, certainly who is an officer, one of your folks is that you're just going to tap on the head. Hey, knucklehead, yeah. get back over here where you're supposed to be. And then last, and I understand this is relatively re within the last 20 years, maybe, uh, we encourage accountability up. Yeah. And I actually heard it was, uh, this was all from, uh, uh, Northwest, maybe Seattle, where there was a, a tragic outcome at a fire in the after action report. They found there was a junior firefighter that saw the risk but didn't feel empowered to say anything. Mm -hmm. And they said, kid, why don't you, he says, from the academy to the time I hit the floor, all they mm -hmm. ever told me was shut up, shut up, shut up. You're yeah. nobody here. And yeah. now I believe in academies across the country, you tell them, I don't care who you are on that yeah. food chain. If yeah. you see a risk, man, you scream that out. Yeah, and speak make up sure. for safety. Yeah. But look I at all that effort that we put in. And now what do we do about the same thing when it comes to administrative and code of conduct? Not, it's not, it's not nearly as in depth or so, if at all. So go through yeah. the things that we just talked about, pay, exactly. you know, narcotics, yeah. uh, you know, I'll bet you, you have pretty clear expectations, although they might not be up to the trend. Well, it's just as, uh, as known to the T, I, a lot of people can, can name, you know, our, 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 our procedures or best practice, you know, responding to a high rise fire or a right. wildland fire, but how many of us can, you know, off the tip of our tongue, you know, rattle off the procedures administratively of uh, administrative task inside the fire station. And it doesn't have to be that dynamic by any right. stretch of the imagination. But where this all happens, where this all comes to uh, the the officer in the fire station at that kitchen table yeah. is the traffic cop. It's yeah. where expectation meets application every yeah. day. And so if we haven't given that officer at the station uh, clear expect training, training uh, expectations, training to a reflex response, because I'll guarantee every officer in every fire station knows they're watching TV before they get to work and they go, oh, no, Eric's going to go off today. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, we're in a political thing. There was uh, uh, the former president went to court yesterday. How many conversations are going on in fire stations mm -hmm. right now that mm -hmm. are not meeting the expectations? But we walked into the room knowing that that yep. was going to happen. If I would yeah. uh, like down here in Southern California, and I, you have them up there too, but the big wildfire thing, yes. you know, yep. but there, we know ahead of the wildfire. Yes. They're telling us, oh, Santa Ana's are coming in. So what yep. does LA City, LA County do? They yeah. pre-position resources yeah. and they have protocols because they know here's our biggest problem. This is what's going to, but 
I bet you wherever you, you know, uh, every fire department says, I better pre-position somebody over at station eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? we do. We those, do. Yeah. Those folks are going to lose their minds today. You know, uh, so uh, we can predict uh, yes. what's in. People might get mad, but I yeah. think the next part uh, I've, I've been rattling on, I apologize. For no, me, please, please. But, but the next part is, okay, so how do we, how do we exactly. take that and how do we prepare folks? Because I think one of the things that uh, the many things that is difficult, uh, a difficult situation for the company officer in the fire station, number one is sometimes they are the person that is saying or doing the things. And there's almost no chance that a firefighter or senior firefighter would look at that officer and say, hey, Cap, do you even know what you just said right then? And But on the fire ground, that young firefighter, because frequently the person in the work environment that is the most likely one to understand what's going on might be a little bit out is the junior firefighter mm -hmm. and or the protected class firefighter, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. um, the least likely person to, right. in today's environment to ever say anything. Sadly I, agree. Yeah. Can I give you a quick example? Of that? Absolutely. Please do. Um, if I took the junior firefighter at your agency and I give them this tabletop and I said, okay, here's what happens. Uh, you're, you get, you respond to a fire and it's a good fire. It's a work and fire and you get an interior assignment. All right. And you're, uh, and you're a junior firefighter, man, you're off, you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. So your officer is a lead from the front type of officer. So they're standing right up front. You're getting ready to go in. Um, the fire's lipping out, Right. And you're all geared up, you're getting to go and you look up and you see that the officer, their uh, hood's not tucked in. If that officer goes, they could be in real serious danger, right? Yeah. And yeah, I don't, and I, I ask this everywhere I go uh, in live training. I say, how long would it take you just to tap that officer on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, hold on just a second. Yeah. And everywhere I go, they go like that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's a stupid question, which is a testament to what you all are doing in training. There's no rank in this when right. it comes to safety, but I'm, I'm going to take that exact same firefighter. Please, yeah. I'm going to say, okay, now you're sitting at the kitchen table inside the fire station, uh, having a cup of coffee before you guys go to the gym for seven hours. Why well, cops are saving lives. Um, <laughs> Six hours. <laughs> Six hours. And I said, that same officer pulls out their cell phone and they say, hey, did you guys see this comedian last night on HBO? This guy's hilarious. N-word, N-word, N-word. And I'll ask that young firefighter, how long will it take you to say to that officer, hey, you, we really shouldn't be showing that here in the fire station. At the mm -hmm. And I say, hey, this drill's not for you. Uh, yeah. The drill's actually for every officer in this uh, that's attending this training. Mm -hmm. Because uh, remember, especially as an officer, you're way more likely to get fired than you are to be killed in the line of duty. This behavior is the mm -hmm. number one thing across the country that's leading to that happening. And there's zero expectation yeah. that somebody would step up and say, hey, that might not be such a good idea. Is yeah. this an unrealistic expectation? 100% <laughs> it is. But what do we do when yeah. we recognize a danger? Is we say, yeah. hey, listen, this is based on a long time culture. It's based on a lot That's, of different things, you yeah. know, but uh, so we throw our hands up in the air and say, hey, there's nothing we can ever do to change yeah. this. Yeah. Or what you talked about doing your pushups. Where's the leadership I, in this? I love it. I love it. I, it's, as we go down the navigate this path, because I love it. The segue to this is awesome. So you mentioned culture uh, in your experience. Culture is um I'm not even going to say, you know, try to change culture. Culture is what makes the fire service tradition. It, it makes it great. But there's some cultural things that, you know, can be changed, can be improved, we'll say, right? You can't improve unless you change by definition, right? Im improvement is change. So how do, you know, stuff like this that come up, whether it be the cell phone example that you gave, 
you know, individuals in the firehouse not wanting to speak up because of the culture or, you know, they don't have an environment of, you know, whether it be inclusion or belonging, whatever, how, whatever have you, how do you navigate around that? Have you seen organizations shift, you know, because we know you said you've given examples, there's data of things that are happening that were like, oh my gosh, this is eye opening. Do you start to see organizations shift? To then they incorporate this change in culture for individuals to speak up. They have policies in place to where administratively they're now training heavily in the administrative tasks. So I'm trying to see um, realistic expectations, if you will. I'm glad you said that. And the answer to your question is there are shifts, and but they are not necessarily cultural shifts as much as they are soundbite shifts. And those mm. are almost always at the end of a scandal. Oh, we're going to start doing this and we're going to start doing that. Now, how that impacts the agency, as you know, culture, cultural shift is not fast and we might not know the outcome, but listen, my whole job, but the, everything that I'm doing here uh, is based on years ago, uh, there was a, a firefighter in the city of Los Angeles that ate dog food, was fed dog food, and it became a huge scandal. And that ended up turning into the California Firefighter Bill of Rights oh. um, because what happened was they said, oh, we might have to do investigations into some of the shenanigans going on inside fire stations. And if we're doing that, firefighters should have rights. The mm -hmm. labor groups down here recognize that. And still, that was in L.A. City, and it was 2005. L.A. City is still in the newspaper now for um, workplace environment issues. So, you know, that, that's been, uh, you know, close to 20 years ago. And how much change has been made? You know, now... Right after that happened and in increments all along the way, there's been announcements and proclamations in the newspaper about, look at all the training we're doing now and look at all these things yeah. we're doing now. Yeah. But 20 years later, there's millions of dollars of lawsuits of the same stuff that's going on in a kitchen table in a fire mm. station. Interesting. So Berlin, I think you wanted a bigger uh, answer for me, but I'm going to take it out of that. I'm going back to Rockbreaker. Cultural change is one crew, one shift at a time. That, that because who as an officer inside the fire station, who do you control? Right, control only you, what you can, yeah. Uh, and who do you have influence over? Your your folks, you, right? Yourself and your, your crew, so yeah. What, what, I, what I say, because uh, I've, you know, I've been all around the country and, and the feedback I get mainly is from officers because I put a lot of stress on officers in my, uh, in my training. And it'll be, uh, Eric, we're never going to change this place. You're never going to change the culture. And I said, yeah, uh, listen, all those other things, I, what, I, what, I, what I put up on the board is a bus. I said, this is your bus as the officer. And your job for the next 24 or 48 hours, this is your family that's on the bus. Let's go on this journey. And let's get them there. Now, there's dangerous things that are going to happen. We know that. but most yeah. And a lot of those are when you get off the bus. But yeah. we're ready for those. But uh, there might be some dangerous things going on on your bus, too. And I want you to be ready for those. And what I'll say is many of the things that what, when I read about scandals and fire stations, you know what they come back to when you do those after action reports, they're a little like trash can fires inside mm -hmm. the administrative trash can fires. Yeah. And a captain's, uh, an officer is supposed to be able to put out small fires. So when the, when the person goes, Hey, did you see this? Yeah. You know, the, the officer's responsibility is to say, Hey, put that away. We don't do that here anymore. Yeah. You know, that it's a trash can fire and people want to fight me. They can say, no, HR says that that's harassment. I said, no, let's look at the law. Let's not the law, not the locker room. But what the law says about the workplace is before it re reaches a level of harassment, it has to be severe. And this was bad, but it 
wasn't necessarily as severe, like an attack. You're nothing but a, you know, an attack or like groping somebody. Those mm -hmm. are severe. It has to be unwanted, yeah. right? And says, hey, uh, I don't think that that, uh, that wasn't appropriate. And that's probably the most dangerous one for officers because then that's bad policy. Almost always it's bad policy and training. I've been, I've read many policies that say, it'll say like supervisor responsibility, right? And it talks about what the supervisor is supposed to do if someone complains. Mm -hmm. So the natural inference is I don't have to do anything unless somebody complains. Yeah. But remember, most of those policies were actually written for park and rec, you know, for public yeah. works. They're not in a 24 hour work environment. The one that, that really gets firefighters, especially officers in trouble is the last element, which is what's referred to as pervasive. That And the definition of that is a reasonable person would yeah, find the right. aggregate of these behaviors, you know, abusive, threatening, or, you know, intimidating, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so it's every day I come to work and guys go, boop, 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 all, these, exactly. all this stuff it, is out there and nobody's doing any, any prevention. We're not putting out the fire. Right. And what I'll say to the officers is, hey, if we uh, we sent you out to fires in the field and you refuse to put them out, how long would you be an officer? Right. And then all of a sudden there's a lawsuit. And through sworn deposition, we find out here's all these little fires inside your bus yeah. and you refuse to put them out. How long are we going to let you be an officer? It yeah. just cost us 15 million bucks, right? So, but the only way that works, Berlin, is if everybody, like the fire engine itself, if exactly. everybody's, a t if we're a tactical team, what most fire departments are doing, and I understand the efficiency of this, but most firefighters do like workplace environment training uh, every like year on a computer, two hours, mm -hmm. sitting in front of a computer. Yeah. You know, yeah. by themselves. And you know, and I know frequently that's actually two hours and 20 minutes because the firefighters spend in 20, uh, the first 20 minutes trying to defeat it. And when they can't defeat it, you look for the junior firefighter. Hey kid, come here, press this button. You know, I'll yeah. be in the gym. I'm sorry. I went on a rant. No, no, I love it. We, we can do better at this. Yes. It's dangerous right now. So cultural change, you asked about culture is all that other stuff that's going on in your agency. Mm -hmm. If you're the officer, that's just weather. For your 24 hours, strap in, make Love sure it. your folks are good, turn on your windshield wipers. Yeah. You know, now you don't want other people to get in trouble. So you make it in the radio and say, hey, you should slow down. Yeah. And hey, get Absolutely. out of my lane. Yeah. You know, type of a thing. But what we're trying to do, your focus as the officer, you're going home to your family, your folks are going home to their family. And then like this, you're going to be 31 years into a career and you're going to yes. be retiring. Yes. And you're like you said, you look back at those horrible calls we were on. Mm -hmm. And those seem to resonate with you. And you, especially if there was a really bad outcome, you go, well, what could I have done differently? And yeah. they, they just tear at you. Right. Yeah. And you remember all the good times too. And I'll hear yeah. people saying, Eric, you're taking all the fun out of this job. <laughs> not, I don't want to take the fun out of the job. No. You still should have fun. Yeah. And we do need to find those releases. What I'm trying to, as the rock breaker, what I'm trying to say is, could you not use this word yes. when we're doing that and predict that it is going to come? Right. And, but it's a, by itself, it's a trash can fire and be prepared to remind people, you know, I, I understand what we're doing here, but let's not use that word. And I'm going to, now I'm going to put a bow on it. The officer has to empower everybody in their uh, command to be able to come to them and say, Hey, Lieutenant, Hey, Captain, do you know what you just said right now? Yeah. You know, and that's the safest operational crew, right? Yeah. yeah. The safest administrative crew is when you're sitting at the kitchen table and the first thing the officer says is, I'm a knucklehead. I'm prone to do this stuff. 100% okay for you to call me out on it. Yes, that's the, that's the best feedback I get. I, wherever I go, depending on the size of the agency, almost always I got emails or phone calls from captains. Yeah. And what they say is we talked about this on the rig going back. My job, I got to the rock breaker. 
that's cultural change is let's have yeah. the discussion. That, that last part that you mentioned, just you have to set, you have to be the example, right? I mean, we have to be able to open ourselves up for feedback as well. Otherwise people will not open their mouth to give you feedback or to tell you, Hey, put your hood up. We're going to walk into our own problems. I love, it sounds like you said, you know, pers- it's personal accountability. And I wrote this down because it was, it's, it's, it's a reminder to someone like myself I love the tra- I love the bus analogy, right? Control your bus. This is your bus. Take care of your bus, yourself, your crew, and your things. Put out the trash can fires. Take care of the one percent and control what you can control because you can't control the things you can't. And I mean that 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 speaks to me because I'm I'm trying to and I'm noticing it. It's it's I struggle with it, right? I struggle with trying to change culture. I struggle with trying to navigate the big ship. But again, like you said, I can only control my bus. Right. Um, and then and encourage others to control their bus. And then that's how we can make a paradigm shift, if you will. But I love that. It comes down to personal accountability, ownership, lead by example, and uh, control what you can control because that's all you could do. If, if we can get just as a result of this podcast, there's one of your listeners that says, uh, I'm not going to post this. We've had a you pretty won. good day. You, you you won, right? That's we, what I say too. We can't necessarily quantify a negative, yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. what somebody didn't do, uh, but what like you're in a training capacity, right? Yeah. So what you do is I'm going to put the information out there and yeah. you're not a hundred percent sure, you know, yeah. what's resonating. We try to use all the techniques, right? Yes. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to give them a chance to manipulate it. I'm going to give them a chance to read it because people have different ways that they learn things, Yes. right? So what we do is we try to cover all those bases in training. You know, let's tell them, let's show them, let's, they can read it somewhere. Operationally, we give them all of those opportunities to learn. Code of conduct and, um, and administratively, we don't always do that to that same urgency based on the potential outcomes. Well, I love how you just said that right there, the quantify, you can't quantify an action that never took place because we've talked about that. And I was going to mention this earlier is you're totally right. And it's, it's unfortunate too. the, the, the investigation that never happened, we, we don't have data now. And it's right. like, Oh, if only we had the data, I was like, well, no, don't worry about the data. The fact that there's no data is now a good thing because you prevented a data. So I, I say, don't become a statistic because um, that investigation that doesn't happen is a good thing, but it takes that proactive effort, that mindset of, you know, if I don't post this, like you mentioned in your example, if I don't post this, you know, who knows if that saved a firefighter's job. And the fact that a firefighter that wanted to post something, for example, still has their job, that is a win because we don't those, know. Those, uh, I read uh, an event where a bunch of guys got fired. Uh, again, a whole company got fired. And I won't go into, into all the details, but uh, the captain that was in this company that was kind of the ringleader of the event that resulted in everybody being fired, there was, they, there was an event uh, they, you know, cause we're sitting at a kitchen table and we come up, Hey, this will be pretty funny. You know, this is what we're going to do. And then it went off the rails. And then they all went in and lied about it because they said, Hey, listen, mm-hmm. we're getting called in for this. There's no way that they know about it. Just hold your mud and say that you don't know anything about it. Well, there's nothing that a firefighter does today. That's not on audio or video, you know, somewhere. And so they all get fired. Well, the person that's telling me the story is the battalion chief. That's a pretty good friend of the captain that got fired. This captain has about 25 years on the job into their retirement. And so the, the battalion chief says, yeah, the guy kind of laughs it off. He says, shoot, I'm surprised it took him 25 years to get to this. Wasn't the worst thing I ever did here. Mm -hmm. And it's a big joke to that captain. But what about the two firefighters that have four and five years on the job and two little kids that'll never be a firefighter anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. That you know, that's your bus. Yeah, that's your bus. <laughs> you know? uh, that's and your bus. So wow. that's and when we're talking about, I know that we we tend to look at things as like a it's a big moment, you know, that somebody comes into the station, and I'll ask this in training. I said, when was the last time somebody used a derogatory term for a gay man in a fire station was? You know, not like hate-based, just like punctuation to a sentence. Mm-hmm. And literally, you know, people will look at their watches, mm-hmm. you know, type of this thing. But yeah, if I take your if yeah. and I was at a state chiefs conference, there must have been uh, close to 200 people in the room, mainly chiefs, chief officers. And I asked that question, right? And before the words are out of my mouth, there's a chief sitting right up front that stood up, turned around, looked at the crowd and goes, hey, everybody, Bob's a boop. And he lets mm. go with a derogatory word, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think the guy's a homophobe or a racist. Right. I think was, he right. thought he was a wit. And I lost that room for like five minutes because yeah. people were laughing. Yeah. But that's a whole different generation of fire. But that's who's leading the agency, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Type of. So then when it all calmed down, I said, number one, remember, it's a isolated incident. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, chief, don't do it. He goes, oh, Eric, I'm so sorry. I said, now I'm going to put you on the hot seat. You and me are going back to wherever agency you're from. I'm going to bring in everybody that works for you, the human relations council, uh, your city manager, all your city government folks, and everybody's kids. And I'm going to sit him in a big auditorium and I'm going to ask you this question, chief, is it ever okay for somebody to use it? And what are you going to tell me? Because I'm going to say no. I go, Hey, everybody, chief hypocrite. Mm -hmm. And everybody got real tight. I go, I'm not busting your chops, but I go, you're the visionary for this agency and you can't get your shit together. I use the S word. I'm sorry. No, no, that's right. We, uh, (laughs) we, you're not the first and we'll be the last. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And he, you could tell the remorse, you know, type of a thing. But it was punctuation to a sentence, and he thought he was a wit. Yeah, we've got a long way to go, Berlin. We do, but, we do. Uh, but we do. Uh, but look at—is it important? Is a journey important? Yes. Are there consequences? Yes. And what are we currently doing? Yes. Now I'm a vendor. Yeah. You know, so I'm go. Oh, you know, we. But and you don't need me to do this. What yeah, we need, yeah. what we're hoping to get to, is every company officer. Yeah. We live in a company officer has more to do with the day to day success of an agency than a fire chief ever will. Because a company officer is with the men and women of the agency 24 mm-hmm. seven. What a company officer says is okay. That's what's okay. Yeah. What a company officer says isn't okay. That becomes the rules for your bus. The safest yep. place we can be operationally administratively is yeah. when the company officer's rules and the agency's rules match up as close as possible. Exactly. We, we encourage what we tolerate, what we <laughs> encourage, what we encourage on the bus. We control our bus and what we allow to happen on the bus is, is, Go ahead. It's it's acceptable around here. If there's a lot of weather going on around you, I I appreciate that. I respect that. Yeah. But as the officer, the most influential person for the day to day success, you have nothing to do with the weather. You yeah. know, your your job yeah. is to be aware of it. <laughs> be aware of the weather. Absolutely. I love that analogy because you can't change the weather. You could focus what happens on your bus. Right. And I love that. So now this is an amazing part because now if you can, Eric, if you don't mind, talk to three groups of people. And these are three, uh, not separate groups, but just different uh, roles in in the agency for them, speak to them, things that they could do right now inside the fire station administratively or operationally to start being better, you know, when it comes to these, these, these issues um, that you're talking about. So the first group is talk to the new firefighter. It could be a recruit, probationary firefighter, someone newer with the agency. What's something that they could do right now, behaviorally, you know, operationally, administratively, to start growing themselves, adopting this mindset of being a good advocate on this bus so they could start fostering a better culture and work environment. 
I think, uh, uh, again, coming into this uh, job with your eyes open for the brand new firefighter, it's, uh, and for all these things, I'll probably, uh, I'll throw in a little bit of accountability. Understand what the agency rules are related to these common code of conduct and or administrative violations. Uh, and so that would be, you know, pay, narcotics, this, that, and the rest, um, workplace environment issues. Uh, really understand what the rules are and be prepared that you may land in an environment that uh, might be a little bit loosey-goosey with those rules uh, and have a plan in place of how you individually might deal with that. If there are conversations that are going on in the fire station that are um, problematic, there's language or displays inside the fire station that are problematic. How are you? Are you? First of all, you shouldn't be using any of that language and you shouldn't be... Um, uh, you know, showing any of those displays, you're going to have to have a plan in place what your response scenario is. First is, uh, yeah, I, I make it kind of like the briefing on the on the airplane, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if if uh, if this uh, mass falls, you know, type of a thing, mm -hmm. put your mask on first. Yeah, yeah. you know what? I don't want to participate in that. That's your first thing. Yeah. Protect yourself. Love it. But then you're going to have to decide and look around. At what level am I willing to put a mask on somebody else around me? Yes. That might be struggling. Now yes. you may decide not to do that because for many different competing reasons that I don't want to be shunned. I don't want to be, but don't jump into the fire. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. if these things that you're looking at, hold yourself personally accountable, put your mask on, be prepared to do that because yeah. it's likely going to happen. Uh, and then we talk about, do you want to put the mask on somebody else around you? I love that you know, type of a thing. Yeah. Uh, but have a plan going into it. I'm that. hoping that we eventually get to when they land at the station, not only is the officer in the station saying, kid, if my hood's out, your job is to put it back in. But kid, if I say something, put my mask on me too. Yes. Because remember, if the plane is, if those masks are down, the plane's in peril. So that's why you yeah. do the briefing on the front side. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Predictable, it's preventable. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but that would be understand your accountability and responsibilities, both for operational dangers, but also have, predictable uh, administrative things and understand what the thresholds are for social media, understand yeah. what the thresholds are for uh, what is your peer support? What is your EAP? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, what are the rules about that? So you're not in a position that all of a sudden you're thinking about, maybe I should steal drugs, absorb the fact that it is a moment of courage to come up and say something, be mm -hmm. prepared for that, you know, because you are going to be subject over the course of your career to multiple you know, emotional and physical trauma. So let's yeah. have a plan early on, you know, a game plan early on I love um, that. Uh, for those things. And also the last part for the new employee, because eventually you're not going to be the new employee anymore. Right. And you're going to be looking at maybe becoming the person responsible for your bus. Yeah. So who are you? Because yeah. you are who you were when. Yes. Right. And if you can make right. a transition that doesn't cause you to be on a roller coaster ride, yes. But just a pretty even transition that's going to make it a little bit more easy. Uh, twenty four hours for you driving yeah. the bus. Oh, I love that. And uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, again, you went back to, you know, being able to speak up, put on your own mask, take care of yourself. You don't, if you don't want to get involved, you know, take care of yourself first. But we talked about this many times. You know, psychological safety. You know, if if it's 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 a mass accelerant, if you will, to performance or high performance and arguably, I mean, not even arguably, right? Non-arguably firefighters, EMTs, fire stations, public servants need to be high performers, right? We don't want mediocre performers. We're looking for high performers and we need um, individuals 
uh, to be able to be psychologically safe. So they will speak up and put on someone else's mask and not just their mask. Right. And so I guess you mentioned earlier, I think we can have a conversation later on because you can go down two hours of this path, but <laughs> I am curious to your path with um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but even more specifically the equity and inclusion and belonging piece, because that's, I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking to these new employees to be, to have that feeling of safety Yes, and belonging in the fire station, so they can and will put that mask on for somebody else, or speak up when they say, "Hey, I don't think you should use that language," because we don't do each other any good if I say, "Hey, if I don't say anything to that captain that doesn't put their hood on," I don't do anyone any good if we're going planes uh, is is nose diving and I don't say, "Hey, put your mask on." If I'm only taking care of myself, you got it starts with self, but we all we need to foster an environment to help each other and put on, make sure everyone's mask is on. On the fire ground, if somebody was doing something dangerous, everybody else that was there, no matter rank, would tackle them. Agreed. And we would like to get that same thing inside the inside the stations. Let's tackle each other in the stations right. administratively. There's, oh, I love that. With DEI, if I could make a if please, we can, we can do this off. Uh, yeah. Afterwards, uh, please consider reaching out to uh, Deputy Chief Mike Despain at Redmond. Um, okay, that's uh, we've got He's, the uh, he has a challenge coming up, which uh, he has yeah. a a seven step DEI process that's been uh, uh put together over 38 years of fire that's service right. experience at various levels. Uh, okay, that's a little bit of pitch. I in the seven steps, uh, what we're talking about the training and yeah. preparing the company officers is yeah. one of those seven steps about awesome. let's make sure that all the effort we're putting into awesome DEI, every segment of DEI. We're prepared to um, uh, meet those expectations in it. the fire state. Because if we don't do anything related to the station, we're hurting ourselves regarding all those other efforts. Just exactly. Uh, anyway, but yeah. Mike Despain is a great guy, and he's got a process. I have been put up on the screen. Yeah, um, I've met. The the second group, I think you talked there was yes. a company. So officer. yeah, let's talk to the company officers. So same deal, right? Emerging leaders, new company officers, aspiring officers, right? What's something? And you've mentioned this about the bus, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll allow you know. Let's elaborate and go further if needed. What's something that they could start doing today, right now, to foster this this environmental culture of tackling administrative tasks? First and uh, foremost, uh, an look in the mirror. And do an assessment if you're ready for this job for aspiring company officers and understand that any, you and anybody working for you is incredibly more likely to get fired than they are to be killed in the line of duty. And these are predict predictable, preventable things. Have you done your push-ups? It doesn't mean that you can never be a company officer, but are you prepared uh, for that role to take over that bus? And because you might have to start changing and you're going to have to deal with the hypocrisy thing. Uh, you know, if, if uh, you're a bit of a knucklehead, doesn't mean you can't be a great officer. Right. Um, but also because we are in this paradigm shift, we do have these risks that are existing, you know, for you and your bus. Are you pre really prepared for that operationally? You can probably knock it out of the park, mm -hmm. you know, and you're ready for it. Yeah. But are have you done all your pushups administratively? Yeah. And uh, some of that is, I give everybody in the class a get out of hypocrisy free card. You know, if I tell you not to do something that I'm doing, I'm a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you not to do something that I used to do and I'm trying really hard not to do now, I'm a parent. Yeah. And everybody with kids knows exactly what I'm talking about because you don't want your kids to do the same knucklehead stuff you used to do yes. when you were their age. You okay. know, we got smarter about it. But by yeah. the grace of God, we got through it. Yes. And I don't want to expose you to this. So that would be the first thing for the aspiring officer. Love. Have you done your push-ups? Because you're going to have to do this. 
without doing it, you're going to be putting yourself and your other folks at risk, you know, oh. so be ready for it. Love it. And Have you done then, your push-ups? Yeah. Then for, I know it's easy. I'm plagiarizing the hell. I, I love it. You know I love, I've wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. So, but the, um, then the second, the current officers is um, look in the mirror and do that assessment where, cause it's not like we can't change yeah. that. Um, and the good example is um, what I use uh, for the workplace is hazardous material calls. You know, that uh, think about when you first started, you know, firefighters would fight fires, right? And then we'd come back to the station and you'd be walking around the station in turnouts or sleeping in mm. a dorm. And, but we don't do that anymore. Right. Because we learned what carcinogens are and we learned the dangers of those things. So we tried, we're always going to be exposed to them. We'll never not be exposed to them, but we were, found out how dangerous they were. So yeah. we took prevent, you know, pre-event, during the event, post-event protocols. So that captain now, what are we doing about the workplace? Yes. And what are we doing? Because I'll tell you, like I mentioned social media, all those folks that were uh, terminated based on social media things. Well, most of those folks didn't go quietly into the good night. And many things I'm reading about the lawsuits, you know, wrongful termination, you know what they're bringing up mm -hmm. is they're saying, chief, how are you firing me for saying this on social media? I said exactly the same thing at the kitchen table in a fire station in front of an officer without consequences. Mm. So let's go back to quantifying a negative. What if I'm at the station holding somebody accountable to language that I should be holding them accountable to? Does it mean they don't go out and put that on social media? I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know they did it. Yes. Because if you Google ring doorbell in firefighter, oh my goodness. I just saw the one where that's the same sex uh, domestic violence and two medics are out there and they... Uh, there's no transport. So the PD is taking care of it, but the medics are standing on the, on the front porch, a litany of homophobic language, and it's mm -hmm. all on the ring doorbell. Now you can't convince me that those guys weren't using that same language at the kitchen table without right. consequence. Right. It was the first time they've said any of those was right there right. on in public. Yeah. So that officer understanding the importance of you've recognized it in the name of this podcast, the yeah. kitchen table is the hub of safety for us. Yeah you know, yeah. operate, but it also can be uh, a festering, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. because we don't see these dangers. So the current officer look in the mirror, yeah. assess where we might be about these dangers, yeah. uh, get rid of the lore, get rid of the locker room, try to drop the hypocrisy, you know, uh, and think about how many trash administrative trash campfires might be going on around me right now that I started Let's yeah. not start them anymore, yeah. but also that I'm not responding to. Uh, if I make throw one more part yes, of the uh, of course. Uh, uh, my training, yes, uh, especially for the current uh, uh, company officers, any amount of training that we've gone to, uh, they'll spend a pretty good amount of time on what are fr frequently referred to the protected classes. We identify protected classes, and uh, and it's got to be important, right? Because we spend it's a two hour training, and we're spending you know, 25 or 30 minutes identifying protected classes. For the rock breaker training, what I tell folks is this. If I was to ask you, hey, what are the protected classes in uh, the state of Washington, right? Uh, your folks might be able to muddle through it mm -hmm. and probably would be able to identify the protected classes. Uh, but what I say is this, protected class, uh, that term, that term is a trap and the company officer has to forget it. I'll say it again. It's a trap. You didn't hear me say it's not important. It's incredibly important. 
But at the kitchen table, if we're talking about protected classes, you're so far down the rabbit hole that we can't pull you out. The company officers reflex response to a dangerous situation has to be solely based on language or display. If that word, regardless of the intent of the word, mm -hmm. sometimes it's our protected class employee that's using the word. If we filter it through protected classes, we don't act. Oh, was my protected class employee that said it must be okay. Or mm -hmm. we look around, right? Oh, right. there's no protected class here. It must be okay. Those words are, if I take go back to the hazardous material, those, those little words, those are administrative carcinogens. They're now in the environment. And we haven't done anything. It'd be like walking, sitting at the kitchen table and turnouts because nobody's doing anything to separate and mitigate. Because remember what that pervasive behavior um, is, it's an aggregate of behaviors. It, you know, it talks about the, the very first definition of hostile work environment, you know, uh, uh, harassment in federal law, because all this comes emanates from federal law. It says the, the, the very, if you open up the book, the very first page says, what's not harassment? What's yeah. not hostility? And it says petty slights, isolated incidents, hmm. right? Um, are not, they're trash can fires, they're bad, right? But they're not big fires, mm -hmm. right? So if somebody says, boop, in the yeah. fire station, that reflex response for the company officer has to be, hey, 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 remember, we don't do that here because the company officer can't let it become pervasive, right? Uh, and so, but we don't do that frequently. And what I, and also the company officer has to be able to promote and encourage and empower everybody in their environment to look at them at, at the company officer and say, do you even know what you said right there, Ken? You know, Absolutely. that type of a thing. Yeah. Uh, th that's the safest, right? Operational unit is yeah. when everybody is a tactical team, you know, athletic team. Yep. Sit at, and you know this as an officer, no one in the fire station will say a word unless the officer gives them the okay to do it. Yes. Right. It's, so it's... that's that conversation. If I'm an officer right now, say, hey, listen, guys, some knucklehead from California, some rock breaker came up here and scared the hell out of me. You know, <laughs> but we can do a better job at this. Yes. I'm going to call you out. And I know you're going to look at me saying, with the nonsense that comes out of your mouth, you know, but I'm going to call you up, but guys, it's okay for you to call me out. You Sounds know? like a day one, a day one conversation and expectations. You it's you okay call, to do that. And if I you're not you. okay, there's other buses, you know, and yeah. I, I firmly believe this Berlin, that I believe that well over 90% of everybody that's working in fire departments, career or volunteer are fantastic people, push, come to shove, are doing exactly the right thing almost all the time. We have a couple of Gumbies, <laughs> you know, kind of waving in the wind. And given, you know, whatever might be stimulation, they're just as likely to make a bad decision as a good decision. And then we have snipers in every agency. The trouble, cultural change right now, uh, is the snipers control the narrative because the snipers control the kitchen table. Now, when I get done with, with the training that we do, what I like to think happens is the overwhelming percentage of folks go, I feel validated because this kid didn't tell me anything I don't know. The waving in the wind firefighter maybe makes a better decision and the snipers don't go away, but they get a little bit more quiet at the kitchen table because everybody at the kitchen table is willing to call them out as being a sniper, yeah. you know, uh, type of a thing. So if I'm a captain right now, I get this real small. What do you do in a big crisis as an officer? Yeah. Get real small, go to your basics. What are we supposed to do? And remember, if you go look at the book, the book was based on best practices, you know, and we trained to this. So Acknowledge the fact that this stuff is going to happen. Be, have a game plan to address it when it does. 
and get through any filter that you might currently have that might mute your response to these things. Yeah. I don't want to be a hypocrite in the rest. Yeah. That's that self-evaluation that I would like to cap and say, can I get through this 24 hours? Absolutely. There will be some things that get said or done, but yeah. I'm prepared to respond to them. Oh, I love that. Emotional intelligence, being able to recognize your own. We're not going to call it that though, Berlin. You know, that's true. You can't, you can't, you can't say emotional intelligence. You can't say we're going to have a discussion on DEI today because uh, unfortunately I've been there. I've lost the room. I've lost half the room and I haven't even got into the topic of conversation it's like yet. Putting uh, a little, what do they say? Put a little sugar in with the medicine. Yes, <laughs> you know, yeah, there you go. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just call it. Uh, we're going to do some rock breaker training yeah. today. Yeah. And uh, that's why we used to do this like in suits and ties all the time. Yeah. And then Brian told me, no, we're going to like polos and, and uh, utilities, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. and, and with boots on, I mean, yeah. almost, you know, uh, type and which is better for me because it's just way more comfortable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But, polo t-shirts. Yeah. And stuff. And um, the, the comp and what was it? Chief officers. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk to the senior leaders of organizations, chief officers, you know, battalion chiefs, division chiefs, the fire chiefs. Uh, what are, what are some things that they can do today to start fostering the environment to create a culture of, you know, of, of safety and basically embrace everything that you've mentioned today over the last hour? It's uh, uh, it's going to sound like a broken record, but really where what's your accountability at your level? I'll frequently talk to company officers that say, uh, Eric, uh, I understand what you're saying, but boy, you know, the, the BC comes down, you know, and right away, hey, you know, and he starts throwing stuff or she starts throwing stuff out at the, you know, at the kitchen table. They'll say, yeah, that's your bus, you know, type of a thing. And that's a sidebar conversation that might be incredibly uncomfortable, but you're going to let somebody come into your house and talk to your kids. What's well, on my house though? No, it's your bus. This is your family. Yeah. We're going to minimize, you know, any of that, uh, any of that stuff going on. Also, I, I believe that there should be uh, uh, an honest level of communications. If I am a battalion chief and let's say that I have a layer of six, seven, whatever it is, uh, company officers working for me, I want there to be periodic reports. What, fires are you putting out on your bus? I want to know about them. Um, be, why do you do reports on small fires, right? Trends and training yeah. uh, is why we uh, why we catalog that information. You know, whatever, if you're using N4s or whatever the, you know, stuff is that we want to know trends and training. We write reports on these and it goes up a chain till it lands like on your desk in a training cadre saying, hey, what have we learned in the last year of responding to fires, mm -hmm. Right. And then, then what your job is, is to, if necessary, retask or retool uh, to make sure that we're getting the best bang for the buck and putting effective training out to whatever the trend is. Does that all make sense? It does. Make so there has sense. to be some, some communication, but company officers are incredibly hesitant to share with a battalion chief that they did put out a small fire. Hey, we were sitting at the kitchen table, Eric let go with something and I had to correct him because what is the, what does the battalion chief do then? Wait, what, Scorch. what happened? Yeah. Yeah. yeah scorched earth. Mm -hmm. They come back like a four, they come back as a battalion chief level fire and go, Hey chief, that wasn't a BC level fire. This is my fire. It's a small fire. I just want to let you know, I put it out because yeah. your battalion chief has to evaluate the company officers. Yes. yes. And I know, I want to know you're putting out your fires. Right. Oh, okay. uh, so what I talk to the battalion chief is don't put out a fire that's out, you know, uh, and that oh, has to, that. because what'll happen, right. Is I, let's say I work for you. And you did correct me. And then two days later, or maybe that same day, the battalion chief comes out to the station and the battalion chief's talking to me about it. What does that do between your and mine relationship? Mm -hmm. 
right? That now it, there are confidence, the trust that we have. Yeah, micromanage you know, takes over. Yeah, it's usurped, right? So, and even it can't be uh, three sets later at a fire, the battalion chief can't come up to me and yeah. say, "Hey, Eric, are you still doing that knucklehead stuff?" The battalion chief has to be locked in on that fires out, leave it alone. You know, the the officer. Now there may come times that the officer shares something with the battalion chief. And the battalion chief does have to get involved. Absolutely. But at least you have the chance to explain it. This is why I'm getting involved. Mm -hmm. Right. But but if I'm a a battalion chief level, a line battalion chief, I want to encourage, you know, first I have to look in the mirror. Am I the problem? You know, get out that hypocrisy uh, free card. As you talk about generational cultural paradigm shift, I think what's starting to happen is many of the quote unquote, old school leadership who have been in the way of change uh, are now retiring, Mm -hmm. right? And see, and part of the trouble was, right, I've got a pretty big thing that's in front of me that we should be dealing with, but everybody knows my scandal with the secretary and everybody knows, you know, my history of everything that's gone on here. And if I try to take some type of corrective action, that stuff's going to be all over the newspaper. Well, because that was how those guys were all brought up. My generation was brought up that way, right? Well, that Mm -hmm. group is leaving and now it's being uh, replaced by, they still have their shenanigans. There's, this is still a group of shenanigans, but it's a little bit less maybe. And then eventually, right. The thought is going to be, there'll be a lot less of shenanigans at the top of the organization, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which might free them up, (laughs) you know, go all the way back to that brand new firefighter that we were talking about that's the person that eventually when it get when they get to be the the chief not that all this goes away but it'll be a little bit more of a streamlined yes. uh process, process yeah. of uh personal accountability because yeah. there's no you know behind the scenes there's no hypocrisy yeah. but there's much less hypocrisy clouding this Agreed. vision and yeah, then for it. the fire chiefs is what is a fire chief's job operationally and that's strategic planning trend mm-hmm. you know where does the but what's our budget for all this? You yeah. know, what are, what are we doing? What's it costing us? Do that strategic planning process when it comes to whatever, you know, what's your risk? What is your uh, code of conduct risk assessment? Mm-hmm. What are the most common things that are going on? What are our policies related to those things? What's the status of our policy related to those things? What's the training that we have related to those things? And for whatever matrix that we come up with, what's our accountability yeah. related to those things? Yeah. Uh, in my view, almost all of that strategic plan, uh, that planning process has to be at the company officer level because yeah. you're you're the you're the traffic cop. You're the best one to actually assess where does application meet. And you're the ones that should the officer should be saying, chief, we don't have enough. Our written expectations are not uh, up to speed. We're definitely not being trained to this expectation. Right. But. Uh, that's it, it would be a strategic planning process put in place by the executive level of the mm-hmm. agency. I see it. Um, I see it in the near future. And um, I'll talk about it here in just a second. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, this piece here, um, Eric, is uh, my favorite piece of the episode is uh, you may have heard of it. It's uh, the leadership challenge. And uh, the leadership challenge is where we ask you, Eric, if there's someone out there a colleague, a friend, a mentor, an, a leader, an individual that you believe uh, has a message, a, a story, a perspective on leadership that you feel uh, should be uh, spread. And so um, is there someone out there that you would like to formally challenge 
to come into the kitchen table like today and uh, be a guest on the kitchen table. There's uh, two people. One, as I, I mentioned, is yes. Mike Despain. Um, and the other one is actually a regionally local person. And that is uh, uh, Harold Scoggins at huh? um, Seattle. Uh, you may or may not know, but, uh, you know, Harold is actually um, on the executive uh, committee at Metro Chiefs, you know, the largest 200 agencies in the or 300 agencies. Uh, he's on that DEI committee um, and, you know, years of fire service uh, experience, but and, and you know, an incredibly, you know, uh, respected, uh, at least from what I've found. Uh, you know, I always arrive someplace and they say, oh, he's the best person ever. And I don't know when I walk away what people actually say about them. <laughs> but um, uh, Mike, uh, definitely, uh, Harold, unfortunately, you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard the name and he's just no longer with us, uh, but was uh, Alan Brunacini. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you've heard that name before. And I had the good pleasure of becoming pretty good friends. Uh, not like we would hang out or anything, but he saw one of our presentations and we spent uh, a dinner together and uh, then he started regularly sending me notes. He would, uh, uh, and our paths would cross at larger conferences like FRI and stuff and just a joy. But I think, you know, he summed that up, right? The whole thing was, Hey, be yeah. nice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Just, uh, there's nothing like him in law enforcement. You know, wow. I've been to everything you can possibly be to. There's nothing like him in law enforcement. Wow. Um, uh, and I don't know what uh, th that would have been my first thing, but unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's just no longer with us, but yeah, I like no, thank that. Thank you. I like that message is just be nice. Yeah, the just best be nice. You can. It's simple. I still, uh, I, I know he has his uh, top 10 customer service, you know, for customer delivering customer service yeah. excellence. And I, you know, I'll hand it out to, you know, individuals that, you know, want to learn a little bit more about customer service. And I still adopt it. I have it in one of my notebooks, but his concepts, like you said, be nice. It's, it's simple. They're yeah. simple. They're not extravagant things. I'm sure you've talked about it before, but anybody that might be listening, uh, anything, Google Alan Bernsini and yeah. just get everything that he's ever said or written, yep. Yep. <laughs> or written yep. and, yes. and, and take a look at it. He yeah. sent me one time, he sent me a three by five card and it was green on one side and red on the other and a little note with it. And he said when he was a company officer, he'd walk by the kitchen table and look and he'd pull it out and there was a green or red. You know, depending on what the, what they were doing, and you get like literally red carded. Yeah. It's like okay, leave the kitchen table. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, type of a thing. Yeah, but I love let, it. Let's not overthink this. Yes, Just, exactly. You know, keep it simple, and we somewhere in cultural change, somebody it's the money ball thing. We got to break out. Yeah, and we got to say, listen, uh, especially current company officers. Not only, you know, were you brought up in a certain expectation, but we've thrived in it. Mm -hmm. We promoted in it. Yes. And it's very difficult for us then to say, hey, maybe there's a better way to do it. I totally but, agree. Uh, but go back operationally. And you remember those firefighters that, you know, would uh, be those sitting there smoking a cigarette at a, at a fire scene going, hey, yeah. kid, I, you know, I eat smoke for breakfast, you know, type yeah. of a thing. And they were, they were still, those captains were great and we miss them. Yeah. And they were fantastic, you know, yeah. but it's just a different time. There's new, exactly. not necessarily a new risk. But the risk has been better defined for us. Yes, you know Agreed. through through learning from others. And yeah. so, captains today, lieutenants, are you smoking the cigarette? Going, hey, I eat this stuff for breakfast. Or are you driving yeah. your bus for your twenty four hours, minimizing any exposure? You know, exactly. To your folks? It's not the big things that'll hurt us or kill us in organizations. It's the hundreds of little things that will end up killing and hurting us. How many? Yeah, so, so death by scratch exactly you know uh how many times have you heard where some uh, there was a big thing somebody got fired 
and you went, and then the kitchen table's going, Oh, Thanks. remember when that guy did this? And exactly. I, I use DUI all the time, you know, because <laughs> some a firefighter will be involved in a, a fatal or serious injury traffic collision. And then with the kitchen table, remember he came in drunk that time and we racked him out. Remember, yeah. and so what are we supposed to do? We're we supposed to rat him out. And I'd like the company officer to say, I'm not ratting anybody out. It's because number one is we're probably not going to fire the guy for coming right. in DUI. Right. We're going to get him help. Because yeah. why is he showing up here drunk and he's putting all of us at risk? Mm -hmm. You know, and but what we look at it that listen, you're talking to the thin blue line here, you know, is oh, we're ratting the guy out and say, we have to take that deep breath and say, what's the best per thing for this person? What's best yeah. for the organization? That person showing up to work drunk is a symptom of a sick person. And so exactly. you're going to put him to bed, you right. know, type of thing. Or uh, let, let's go ahead. Oh, I can't believe you ratted him out like that. Yeah. And I bet you for those people that do say, no, we're going to, we're sending it home. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. There's no way for me to quantify this, but I'll bet you the lion's share of those people that got put into the system will come back and say, thank God they put me in that system. Absolutely. Right. You know, versus yeah. uh, some other tragic outcome. How many times in life have we, you know, didn't want to do something, did it and said, I am so glad I did it. Right. right. I mean, it happens all the time to every single one of us. Um, yep. Thank you so much for the leadership challenge. We've actually had uh, Chief Harold Scoggins on the show oh. back in January, and we talked for an hour on DEI and recruitment yeah, and yeah. retention and hiring. And so uh, yeah, it was an awesome conversation, but I will let him know that he was leadership challenged by Eric Ossoff. So thank you so much. <laughs> I met uh, uh, Mike Despain actually in a class back in January. Um, at a leadership class, actually, um, in Revenue Fire Department hosted. And so I'm sure I will run into him again in August, but I will nice. email him and ask him um, about the, his willingness to uh, spend an and hour. I'll tell you what, Mike is the guy to ask about the leadership challenge because Mike's been all over the country, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, uh, knows people from me to you and back and uh, probably has some folks that have incredibly uh, interesting and compelling leadership stories and anecdotes and process, you know, based uh, information. Oh, that's awesome. And that, that's, that's all the time is the success of this podcast goes to yourself, Eric, and those that are willing to come on the show, share a message for us to further, you know, distribute and have our listeners kind of resonate, walk away with to further the conversation so we can all learn. Like you mentioned, if we stopped one person from posting or doing something and prevented an action that, that would have cost him otherwise to lose his job, we've done our job um, with this with this kitchen table. So thank you for your message. And I have, I will say, uh, we've, we've gone down a whole lot here and I have my own leadership challenge. I see a future episode with Eric Rossoff on the kitchen table talking about the things that we don't say obviously sarcastically emotional intelligence soft skill training and dei it sounds like there's still a lot more to unpack with you eric and so maybe i can reach out to you in, in a future and maybe we can do this again but how about this lasting leadership thoughts anything uh you would like to leave our listeners with today as we close the kitchen table 100 percent um in my career in my agency there was a uh what i there was an operational tragedy and we had an administrative tragedy I'm very quickly going to uh, tell you the lesson I learned by tying Please. those things together. Of course. The operational tragedy, there was a, a police officer, young, seven months on the job. He was uh, shot 14 times and he was killed uh, in a gunfight between a couple of officers and a couple of uh, and uh, some gang members in this notoriously bad parking lot. And uh, I got to uh, that help call pretty quickly. The gunfight was over, but the cops were still on the ground. And I remember getting to the young man that had seven months on the job and when I got to him, uh, he was uh, still alive, but he was unconscious. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I lost any amount of operational aptitude in those couple of minutes. And it was just like, you know, almost like screaming at him, you know, Hey, you're going to, you got to hold on, you know, it's going to be okay. And medics got there and they loaded the kid into an ambulance. Uh, what we didn't know at the time is one of those rounds had hit him in the leg and nicked his femoral artery mm. and he bled out. Um, so that was our operational tragedy. I was a sergeant then and had promoted to lieutenant and, uh, you know, uh, got went through an uh, internal affairs assignment and finally got out of internal affairs and landed up just being a, a patrol bureau watch commander. And about 18 months before our, administra our administrative tragedy happened, uh, you heard a rumor. It all started with a rumor. And the rumor was about that we had a small group of guys that were uh, like knuckling people up pretty bad, uh, you know, um, but like fire departments have critical audits for important things like money and narcotics. We have an audit for force. You know, every time somebody hits somebody, mm -hmm. there is a police report, you know, and that police report triggers two different audits. There's an internal audit that makes sure we're in policy and even a citizen review to make sure that we're meeting community expectations. So it was easy to disregard the rumor because we had these audits in place. And if it was bad, one of those audits would catch it. Here's one of the things I learned that I think is essential for people at every level. Audits are only as good as the people running the audit. If the person running the audit falls asleep at the switch, that mm -hmm. audit is corrupt. If the person running the audit is corrupt, that audit is corrupt. And I'm not talking about the auditor. What I'm talking about is the kitchen table. Don't involve yourself in behavior and say, well, if this was bad, the audit would kick it out. Hoping that, you know, well, yeah. I know the policy says we shouldn't be doing it this way, but the, you know, telestaff or whatever our pace yeah. thing doesn't kick it out. So it must be okay. Don't do that. Don't put full faith in audits. Anyway, there's a whole series of events that takes place that I won't bore you or your listeners with, but it ends up with many, many people being fired. Uh, there's an FBI investigation uh, that goes into this. And at the culmination, well, not the culmination, but at a point in this investigation, about 18 months after you heard the first rumor, one of our guys uh, kills himself. He goes to a local park and he kills himself. And I happen to be the daytime watch commander and I get up there and the guy's on the ground and I happen to be uh, his uh, second training officer on the job. And we were, uh, I'm going to say, uh, very, very good friends. And we live close by, you know, I knew his family, his kids, he was close with my family. And I don't mind sharing with you or your listeners that I lost it. I was, a, I, I was done. Now, everybody that's listening to this podcast or may in the future, firefighters, every one of your senses has been engaged in some type of tragedy, right? You've Absolutely. seen it, you've heard it, you've smelled it. There's some of you have tasted tragedy. And what we're, we're, you mentioned this about peer support and stuff. We're doing a real better, a much better job of helping each other address those moments so they don't haunt us, right? Whether in the moment or in the aggregate. Right. Well, I'll tell you from time to time, I still see that young man in that hotel parking lot. I mean, it, I live in Burbank and time I drive by it every now and then. And I'll tell you what, uh, Berlin, he doesn't, he doesn't haunt me. Uh, he makes me cry from time to time, but he doesn't haunt me. And the way I reconcile that, this is what I finally came up with. Um, it was operational in nature. And I, that doesn't make it easier, but in my head, I can reconcile it. Mm -hmm. Because this young man was well-trained, well-equipped, and in a reflex response, showing the type of courage I don't know that I would have displayed. He actually basically sacrificed his life to protect the life of the other officer. 
that was there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, that funeral, and I hate to bring up a line of duty that funeral, because I know what that does to all of us. But it's an important part of my story. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm pretty good with words. You figured that out. I ramble on a lot. Um, <laughs> good. I can't come up with the words to describe the grief of that funeral. I just can't do it. But I'll tell you what, that the pride, uh, what happened was it was, it subsided and was replaced with pride mm -hmm. uh, because they're taking this young man. Who's the personification of duty and honor and valor and grace. And they're laying him to rest in the same badge and patch. I wear man, get your kids and put them on your shoulders. Yeah. The Burbank police department's marching by right now. Yeah. You know, there's a special place in heaven for police officers and firefighters like this kid. Godspeed. Yeah. And you know what that moment did to my agency? And it was immediate. All the little petty bullshit that goes on in our places, the clicks, mm -hmm. the little like pissiness, all that stuff went away. We got a big slap in the face. Don't you dare forget who you are yeah. and what we represent. We got time to talk bad about a different company, a different guy. Shut up. Mm -hmm. And we embraced each other like no other time in my history. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. But but we forgot it. Yes. And we rode that for a while. Yes. And we fell and right back down to where we were. Yeah. Because we let that sniper and everybody else. And we started to believe our press. Yes. Nobody that we're elite. Nobody does yeah. this better than us. Right. That led to this, what I call it, administrative tragedy. And I'll tell you why. Everybody heard the rumor. Everybody, myself included, I got to yeah. put myself in this, right? The, that guy uh, today haunts me. First lesson I learned from this leadership lesson, uh, put your mask on. Um, Love it. Love it took it. a little bit of time, uh, but friends, family, faith, I reached out and I accessed what we had available and it was very useful. Yeah. Uh, not that, you know, I'd still have my own little demons that go on, yeah. but as we talked about it and in a safe environment was able to share the experiences I was able to come down to why this, you know, the, the kid I could reconcile, but I couldn't reconcile this over here. And it came down to one word and Berlin, it's a word we don't like. Mm. It's the word we got to step outside mm. and understand. I'm not talking about the guy. I would never disrespect right. the man, right, right. but where that, that young man in that parking lot, undeniably individual, you know, uh, heroism and courage, this guy killing himself, organizational and systemic cowardice yeah and i got to take a bite of that uh, of that yeah. sandwich yeah. i heard the rumor and the rumor was about the guy and you know yeah. what berlin not once in that 18 months did i ever go up to that guy and say hey man i'm hearing a rumor mm -hmm. for no other reason to have him look at me and go hey you know what f you yeah not once as a boss in my organization did yeah. i ever go up to a subordinate and say hey sarge work for you reason that this guy haunts me and the leadership thing that i learned from it is this what would have happened 18 months earlier, when I first heard the rumor, if I would have gone up to have found the courage, right. To go up yeah. to that guy and go, Hey man, I'm hearing a rumor. Yeah. Uh, it sounds bad. Are you okay? Is there something I can do to help you go yeah. up to my friend and say that now, was he involved in those things? I, I believe that he was, would he have confessed any of that to me? Uh, not in a million years, but 18 months earlier, if he would have known that somebody that cares about him is watching what he's doing. Does he maybe get back in the bus, put his seatbelt on? Right. And it doesn't end up, I, I'm never going to know the answer to that question. Yeah. How do you quantify? Yeah. Listen, operationally, how much effort do we have getting your folks ready for these predictable things? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. But I can suit you up, put the hood on, put the mask on, gloves on, all the other stuff. Um, 
But in that moment to go do what you do, there's an amount of courage that has to be in place. You can't be a firefighter unless you're brave. Because I can suit up a bunch of people and say, now you got to go in there. And people are, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. I don't care. But we we give we give you a lot of background. We train you. We make it a reflex response. We do that. But taking that step, you have to have courage. It doesn't stop when you get back to the fire station. Exactly. There's an amount of courage that it takes to say, hey, just to engage, to take that step. You know, because you don't, I can't quantify the negative. It might seem, well, there's a lot of reasons to rationalize. Oh, it's not a big deal. The guy doesn't work for me. It'll never happen again. And we, it becomes this tapestry until we get to that. And that's organizational. There's an individual, because now I'm going to bring that back to your bus. Yeah. Be courageous on your bus. Yes. You know, and have uh, enough to recognize your flaw and say, hey, it's okay to, I'm brave enough that you can tell me I made a mistake. And I'm also brave enough to engage if you're doing something that's outside the expectation, either operationally or administratively, you want to be a leader lead is what I'm going to lead with there or leave you with there. No, thank you. And there's a, as you mentioned, I think, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. Um, Obviously I get uh, listeners and I could tell it's going to be, you know, obviously it's, it hits home for you. And, and I mean, as I, as I listened to that last piece there, there's, you know, you got to have courage at the fires and at the stations. Right. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking and self-reflecting right now. We all need the ability to self-reflect and have the willingness and the ability to change where we need to change, right? And and uh, as we know, firefighters, right, type A personalities, we're talking about, you know, tradition, you know, the only thing consistent in the fire service, and I'm sure uh, the law enforcement is somewhat the same, is the only consistent is is change. And what do firefighters and officers lo- hate the most? Change. The but two it, things we hate the most, yeah. the way it is and change. And the way things are, yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's going to take some self-reflection. It's going to take some humility and it's going to take some, some willingness to become better. Cause as we mentioned, um, improvement is change. And if we don't uh, change, we can never become better. There's a, uh, a courage aspect that comes into all sides of our job and yeah. people I, I, listen, Berlin, I didn't get it at first well, yeah. when I said, well, how come you're at a kitchen table and you can't just look at a guy and say, Hey man, knock it off. Yeah. That's a courageous moment yes. for many, many reasons. It's a it courageous is. moment. It and is. I didn't see it at first. Uh, and now having had the opportunity, what I'm going to tell you, a privilege to for the last 12 years to travel all across North America, United States and Canada, and do what I do. Uh, number one, I, I sincerely appreciate uh, the difficult and dynamics, the dynamics that are going on about what I talk about and why it's not easy, Right but you're all capable of doing things that aren't easy. Yeah. You've proven that over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thank you again, Eric. And before we officially close today on the kitchen table, where do we find Career Survival Group? Where do we see Eric next? And where do we see uh, Brian and and uh, your classes and your programs? Uh, thanks for that opportunity. I'm going to give my uh, selfless plug now. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> on, uh, our, my website is uh, very elementary, but it's for the rock breakers that are out there. But it has a little bit of the things that we offer. Uh, along those things, the, the, our bread and butter is career survival. Um, and Brian and I, I will be up at Redmond uh, Fire Department up in uh, your neck of the woods, August, I'm sorry, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. There it is, Monday through Thursday, yep. Yeah, and I'm sure if you were to reach out to Chief Despain up there, if anybody was interested in auditing that class, depending on how much room they have available, yep. they would try to accommodate that. Uh, Chief Cummings and I will be, uh, I know this would be real taxing for a lot of your folks, but we're going to be in Las Vegas. 
You know, if somebody wanted to work in a, a Las Vegas trip, uh, actually Clark County Fire. When is it? Uh, we're going to be there August 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Same class or different class in Redmond? This is uh, going to be an abbreviated version. Uh, Redmond is going to be the full, full career survival, which is about three, three and a half hours. Okay. Uh, uh, and it's going to be two classes each day. There'll be a morning and an afternoon class, same session twice. Okay. Uh, uh, Clark County, we're actually doing three session, sessions each day. And uh, they're about two hours. Okay. The only difference in the classes is uh, we don't have quite enough time to put in all the anecdotes that we like to share. A lot of our training is anecdote based. Mm -hmm. So we get to the meat of the issue with a little bit less anecdotes. And then after that, uh, September 4th, uh, I'm sorry, September 5th through the 6th, Tuesday through Friday. And then again, the 11th and 12th, uh, both uh, Brian and I will be at the Long Beach, California Fire Department. Okay, got it. So down there in California. Yeah. Awesome. So that's how you find the Career Survival Group. I will uh, be bringing myself and uh, several individuals, I am sure, down to Redmond if uh, if the class can still accommodate. Uh, I know we're less than two months out, so I will get on that right away. So Got it. And uh, then will... also on our website, we have a couple of other things. Uh, the other service that we offer uh, we do a thing called Career Survival 2.0, and that is either a regional or it can be an individual agency. And it's that code of conduct risk reduction strategic planning. Uh, and that it's a, a group of people uh, that we bring together. There's a homework assignment for the a group, uh, whether it's a regional group or an individual group from an agency. And we walk them through, you know, we give them uh, a document to fill out. And it's basically go find all these policies and give us a little bit of update where, where they're at mm. <laughs> type of a thing. And then, uh, so that's a homework assignment. Love it. Uh, there's a book, if you don't mind me giving a plug for please. a book here, please, a leadership book. You, and actually this, now that we're talking, let me go back to the leadership thing. Yeah. There's a guy named Kevin McCarney. I'm going to send you his information. Awesome. He wrote a book called Big Brain, Little Brain, How to Decide Which One Speaks for You. Love it. I don't get, I'm not plugging it. I don't get anything out of it. No, no, I yeah, um, love it. Absolutely. This best, simplest book I've ever read related to engage. Oh, thank uh, you. Have the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll forward you Kevin's and his story is great. He, uh, he owns a, a small restaurant yeah. uh, that uh, is Mexican food. And yeah. he says he came up with all this about how to serve, uh, how to serve Mexican food to people. Wow. Uh, but, uh, uh, how to, you know, uh, be successful in the restaurant business um, by not, you know, uh, having that little brain, which is, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Know, and taking that deep. It's all stuff you've heard before. Yes. He just makes it rock breaker style. I love it. And that's <laughs> what good. we need. And that's yeah. what we need. So, so um, yeah. What we do is we have them read that book and we give them this homework assignment. Then when that's done, we bring the group in together and we do it's two days of very experiential company officer based tabletop exercises, wow. whether it's groups or individuals. And then we go back to the homework assignment that they just did where they filled yeah. out where, where are we at related to policy training and audits of these critical issues. We put them into this deep dive into where do you stand? It scares everybody. And then we go back and we visit that document again and say, what are your priorities? What should we be working on related to policy training of yeah. these critical issues? Our feeling is this shit needs to be this needs to be uh, kitchen table based, because if the chiefs get together and say, "Oh, we're going to tighten this thing up," the kitchen table hates it. What we're after is 
so a memo comes up and says, hey, we're going to start working on our EAP and narcotics inventories. And then you know that there's going to be somebody at the kitchen table going, don't those people up there have anything better to do? And mm -hmm. we hope it's the captain sitting there saying, dude, that was my idea. You know, exactly. it resonates a little bit more if it's from the ground up. Yes. And the most exposed people here, you know, to these, the, the, the biggest influence in the entire agency is that officer at the kitchen table. At the kitchen so table. let's get them in the process. Yes, I love it. Engage the, best, the people. They're, you're the best ones to tell us what where the risks are. No, I love it. I know it's Seattle Fire Department. I know I'm sure departments all, all over is uh, once you become a promoted to company officer, one of your tasks or assignments, if you will, in your first year is to update one of the policies. And um, I, I love this, that this concept, you know, from the ground up, the boots on the ground are the ones that are influencing change or affecting the change. All of that's awesome. on our, you can see a little bits and pieces of that on yeah. our website. No, I love that. So thank you. And uh, I also just want to personally thank you, Eric, for first of all, taking the time today, but also to thank you and Brian for what it is that you do. I've Heard from multiple individuals, a colleague of mine that reached out to me. She went to your class in February, said amazing three hours. Like the battalion chief signed up her crew. They sent an on-duty crew. She said amazing three hours. I was reading the reviews on your website. Uh, I think it's battalion chief Jim Reed out of King County Fire District 2, which is just around the corner here. 33 years on the job, said by far the best class he's ever taken. Mm -hmm. So I couple that with this conversation today, my colleagues, as well as some of my peers in the region saying that this class is amazing uh, because there's nothing like it, right? I've gone to tactical classes. I've gone to, whether it be building construction, fire behavior, whatever you want to call it, I've yet to go to a class that was so focused on the admin stuff with real data. Um, so thank you for what you guys do because I think this is so necessary in the fire service. I appreciate uh, that. It's uh, I got to tell you, i blessed to have fallen into this as a retirement gig and uh, truly nobody has it better than me. It's uh, and I think moving forward, I'll tell you, I what uh, cultural change can be difficult, and uh, there's no doubt about it. But I'll also tell you this: there is no other group of folks that maybe can accomplish it more efficiently than firefighters. I agree. Because at the end of the day, who do we hire? Exactly. You know, problem solvers. I think when we put risk in front, we are risk averse. Yes, folks. You know, and so once we start to couple that, I understand the risk because it wasn't as the same stuff was going on. It just wasn't as risky. But now we've I, we've defined the risk, put that with we have risk averse folks. We have wonderful people that we hire that are steeped in integrity, character, you know, ready to go type of a thing. I think this transition, once we get over that first, we get through the door. <laughs> I, I think that uh, we'll be able to drag or, or drag the other folks that maybe don't want to come. We'll be able totally to drag agree. them up a little bit faster too. I, I totally agree. The 1%, small, yeah. small bits at a time. Thank yeah. you so much. Well, I'll, uh, I'll close um, here, Eric, and then we'll um, have a conversation uh, off air here. I have a short story for you. So thank you so much, Eric, for um, sharing your, your stories and your philosophies today. I'm sure everyone will resonate heavily as they should with the message that you shared over the last couple hours. Thank you. And thank you everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable and we hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead, to spread the leadership conversation. And don't forget to do your administrative push-ups. until next time, be safe, be intentional and stay curious.